Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Yesterday uh, was really the first time he's had some contact, and uh, I thought he looked pretty good. But I won't know the extent of it until I, you know, I get down there in the training room today and and just see how he feels physically. But, you know, he's been doing some things on the floor, but not a lot of contact. And the day yesterday, we we had a lot of contact yesterday and uh, today we'll have a lot of contact. We'll scrimmage today and kind of see where he is. I'm sure X will be smart about his approach and coming back. But I wouldn't count him out, put it that way, because he's he's a tough competitor and uh, already he's doing some things probably maybe a little ahead of schedule. But I'm just hoping for the best to get him back and try to keep him mentally positive about his approach. DeMar, um, right now things are moving in a positive direction. The doctors, um, you know, what they were looking to see, I, I think they saw that. Uh, I can't speak specifically on it, but um, things things are moving in the right direction. You know, some reports last night that he was resuscitated twice. Uh, so, wanted to clarify, there was, was misspoke. Um, he was he was only resuscitated once. Um, outside of that, things have just been moving in, in the right direction. But there's not clarity at this point in terms of how long things are going to be, how long it's going to take, where things are going to go. So, for the family, it's just a matter of seeing more positive signs and hopefully keep building on that. DeMar's parents were, they were a little bit frustrated that, I mean, that T was receiving any sort of negative backlash. I mean, this was a regular football play. T has reached out. I mean, he's he's been supportive of DeMar and his family. Um, so the family doesn't want any negative backlash towards T at all. Happy Wednesday, T, on the Fan Midday Show. You just heard there from Jordan Rooney, the rep of DeMar Hamlin, talking with NFL Network, giving an update on... DeMar's status, the latest we have in that front. Right now, things are really in a positive direction per Jordan Rooney. He said, quote, I can't speak specifically to it, but it's moving in a positive direction. And of course, we continue to send prayers and family. Prayers and, <laughs> we continue to say prayers and wishes to the friends and family of DeMar Hamlin and company as he continues to battle inside of the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Jimmy Cook and Charlie Clifford coming to you on a Wednesday. Charlie, not much, man. Just getting ready for It's good to hear that update. Good to hear that update. update. Yes, indeed. It was a tough day yesterday, um, but also a rewarding day in a sense that, let's face it, before Monday night, you or I didn't know DeMar Hamlin. And to try to do him justice as he continues this incredible fight, um, it's great to hear from the Bengals play-by-play voice, Dan Horde, yep. who's seen it all in Cincinnati, and certainly um, he was the man to handle that situation live on air. And also Richard Skinner as well. Interested to hear from Olivia Ray this afternoon out in Cincinnati, WLWT. Zach Taylor talks for the first time, Bengals head coach, at 1 o'clock. And how he approaches this, certainly anyone who is – Still very invested in this story, as I I think all of us are. Um, you know, it's 
it's a tough day for everyone who had to show up to work today. The Colts also, Jeff Saturday, talking here momentarily at the Colts Complex. First time we've heard from them publicly since the night that seemingly just changed everything this season. Yeah, I mean, it's a very tough dynamic to operate with as an NFL player, as an NFL coach, because it, this is not being insensitive towards the Hamlins. It's just they, these players and these coaches, they understand that unless the NFL steps in and does something, they still have a job that they're forced to do. They're getting paid to do, and and, and they, they do have to go through these tough situations. But if you look at how some of them handled it already, obviously it was very emotional for Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin yesterday because yeah. he's known Hamlin for a very long time, Hamlin having grown up in the Pittsburgh area. But, the, I mean, that is the type of weight unfairly that coaches and players have to bear sometimes in these situations. And you, you commend them. Obviously, it's nothing compared to what DeMar Hamlin's going through, but you compare them or you commend them for going through it and for trying to navigate through the process of, you know, at, at this point, again, it's not officially been announced by the NFL, but there's been no changes to Week 18. And, right. and other players around the league, including the Bills and the Bengals, somehow have to get themselves in a mental place to, to get out there and play. And that's still not the primary concern, but it is going to start being... That's a question everybody's going to get today. How do you play? How do you sure. play through that's that? That's the first question. Yeah. That's the first question after, you know, what was your reaction? How are How is your team doing? Certain connections, as we mentioned yesterday, Rodney Thomas II, a high school teammate of DeMar Hamlin, they won a state championship together just one year apart. And... I know some people were upset that I was saying, hey, make sure you think about Rodney Thomas, too. This has to be brutal for him. I still don't understand that one, but that's, dare you, by that, the way. that's fine. Um, look, people, man. I, I go back to something Jim Irsay has said in you know, his five decades in the game. It's always interesting to hear his perspective on... He talks about the tribal experience of Sunday afternoons or whenever you're kicking off NFL football. Ultimately, what will get the league through this week, Jimmy, is warm-ups leading into a moment of silence, leading into a national anthem, and feeling the indescribable energy that will be in every NFL stadium this Sunday. That is a medicine that you can't replicate. It's just in the moment, and there's a sense of that every week, knowing what you're about to do. And knowing that this is the biggest stage in sports, but to see those images and I'm sure signs and the shots of people in the crowd who just like you and I didn't know DeMar Hamlin before Monday night, uh, it's going to be a very, very emotional, powerful Sunday. And, and ultimately that energy will be channeled into playing competitive football with for teams seating on the line for a pair of games, winning in situations. Right. I, it's going to be crazy how the dominoes can fall. We've felt so removed because the Colts have been out of this for a month. Um, I go back to that Andrew Luck winning in game in Tennessee in 2018, Saturday night, the team that started one and five for me, that that might be the most fun We've had during the Chris Ballard era when luck runs off in the rain in Nashville, this team that 
in the middle of the second half out in Oakland when the Raiders are still out there. If it weren't for a Shaq Leonard punch out, I mean, that season legitimately turned on that play and everything that you thought Frank Reich, first year head coach at the time and Andrew Luck could be, it came together with whatever it was, nine wins in 10 weeks, a win in Houston. So, I mean, put yourself in, it would feel much, much differently around here. I think if you were Jacksonville, Tennessee, if you were Green Bay, Detroit, Seattle, I mean, this is, you've waited all season for a week like this. These are the games you dream for as a fan. There's, there's three different mentalities depending on where you stand in the NFL playoff picture right now. There are your top seeds that are trying to, obviously you take the Bills situation into account, but in an ordinary year, there are top seeds that are, Man, we still got two more weeks. We still got one more week now of the regular season to get through. Can't we just get to the playoffs already? And then there are teams like the Colts situation where, man, can't we get to the draft already? We're still going to go through another. There's just a fan base. I'm not talking about the players. Maybe the players feel that way too. But the fan base, the mentality, to your point, that's where they're at. And then you have the middle of the pack, which is Jaguars-Titans, which is one game to decide everything, who is going to the postseason, who is representing the South. And that's pretty much your tiers of the league in terms of as you prepare for what week 18 if you win is the a- for you. If you win the AFC South, do you even put up like a congratulatory tweet or oh, yeah. do you just kind of oh, yeah. skirt by and say, but, I laughed last week when Brady posted, you know, the, the Hardo meme of NFC South champs. <laughs> Hang on a second. what What's Tampa's record these days? No, I'm with you. It, it Even if it's a train wreck, even if it's a... just whatever you want to call the AFC South or NFC South this year, you're right. Someone has to win and ultimately a home playoff game. I don't know about you, but does this year move any momentum towards looking at if you win a division, should you absolutely be guaranteed a home playoff game? Should that negate itself? Can you put in a clause? If you're 500 or below, you've lost your ability to host the game, Jimmy, something has to be Look, done. Every every this other is trash. Every other league, or at least the NBA, had this issue uh, a decade or so ago. I could be wrong on the timeline, but they had the similar issue, right? Because it was when the division, the division winners, yeah, should central really East, home field advantage, right? And they the, the division still exists, but now it's all about standing in the conference versus your division play. This is an argument that happens every almost every year because we always have one division that's like this. But then you have an interview like... Usually the one the Colts play in. Right. But I, I, I don't know when he did this interview. It just popped up on my TikTok feed a couple years ago. Or not a couple years ago, a couple weeks ago because I'm an NFL junkie and it just pops up every now and again. Sean Payton did an interview with uh, The Herd. And I don't know if he's weekly or not because I don't watch The Herd. So maybe he is. They've been using Sean a lot. Right. Fox. Any, I think any Fox right. entity has... And he talked about the Skittles game. And how they <laughs> yeah. were a Saints team that was like eleven and five that had to go play and see, and they lost. So it's like, oh. like my my bold. It's not really that bold anymore. But a couple weeks ago, when the Buccaneers were flatlining, and then they had that comeback win, it was like, if they get a home game, Tom Brady could find a way to backdoor his way into another NFC Championship game. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility. No, regardless of where you feel about the Eagles or about the Cowboys. So that's why we're not very intelligent, but we're intelligent yeah, enough to tell you that him. Tom Brady right, is right, capable right. of winning a playoff game. And, and so for me, <laughs> I, I go back and forth with it, Charlie, because on the one hand, like, should you really have it all come down to, oh, well, even though they went seven and nine and you went 12 and five, well, they were a division winner, so they get a home game. 
I don't know. That's my point. I think who would be in disagreement with saying you can throw in a clause that the top wild card would flip with the lowest division winner if that lowest division winner is 500 or below? I would assume the South would be. I would assume divisions that are bad would be because you like that idea. It's a competitive edge. Just to be, just to be so the call, other side of the coin. There, that's so who call inbound upset. from Nashville, and we have we have one from Jacksonville on line two. I think they want to discuss uh, this proposed amendment, the- Mister Ursay. <laughs> it's you know, it's fun to laugh about this. In I mean, it took them three years to change the overtime rules. Like the, yeah. the Chiefs got beat yeah. by the Patriots four years ago, and they didn't do anything. And then it happened again, and you realize, oh man, these are two top tier right. assets in Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Now we have to change it. It would take like serious. You would have to have a number one seed, or not number one seed because they have to buy a two seed lose. It wouldn't work that way because the two seed is going to be a division winner. Correct. I don't know what would have to happen, Charlie. But if it hasn't happened now. I, it would have to be a massive league push for me to get it to change. To your point, what we've learned, it takes a lot to happen for the league to feel like the integrity of the game is being jeopardized. You know, let's face it, we've been doing this a while now. Snap decisions, outrage on social media, because you can literally now hear from a fan base in five minutes about how they just were unfairly taken out of the postseason a chance at ultimately what is a multi multi-million dollar trip to the ultimate prize which this year would be in Scottsdale I'm with you um it needs to be looked at Jimmy people are going to be upset it it's going to be intriguing to f- learn how the league gets through the Bills Bengals playoff seating situation as we've talked about if you know you've been busy recently I I know it's been a crazy week to start the year. Still no decision as of this morning, as of now past 12 o'clock here in Indy about whether to resume the game, to completely restart it, to call it a no contest, to I'm sure potentially look at would it be a situation where each team's given a tie and you would move on? Or are you now delaying the start of the postseason in order to play out that game, get the seating right. It it feels like a no-win situation. I, I, I am, unless things shake out in a certain way this week where mathematically that game becomes irrelevant, to me that's the only like winnable situation on paper for the league. And I want to be clear, I could care less. Right, right, right. If DeMar Hamlin, if there's any positive update, I could... I would, and you would too. Anyone is yeah. taking that. This is completely secondary, but it's a conversation piece, certainly, as the week continues here and we get closer to football on Saturday with the doubleheader, um, which will just be, again, a tough pregame for everyone who's wearing a uniform. Speaking of which, we are going to dive into that matchup a little bit at 1 o'clock. Joe Wrights is going to join us of the Colts Radio Network, as Charlie already teased a little bit. Olivia Ray is going to stop by after the press conference in Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, And then Pat Boylan is going to join us at 2 o'clock to get you set. Hoping to get Carson Steele, too. Tonight for Pacers 76ers. Little Ball State. Look, guys, Eddie, Jim, Ball State just had itself... A heck of a night last night, beating Toledo. People are saying, oh, you know, I use playing tomorrow. Butler, we got Butler tonight. DePaul's in town. Late tip-off at Hinkle. We're certainly going to talk about that. 
Purdue trying to regroup after loss to Rutgers. Mike Lewis, first-year head coach for the Cardinals. Former player under Bob Knight, assistant under Mick Cronin at UCLA, leaves what was a very nice assistant gig out in Los Angeles to come back to the basketball state, to pick up a ball state program that's been dormant, to say the least, in men's hoops. Six straight wins, 10-4. and Toledo was picked one of the two of the three teams picked above the Cardinals in the conference. Dropped 90 last night. Their guards go off. And then today, Carson Steele, Mr. Football, Indiana, who announced this past month he's he's looking for a new opportunity after two highlight reel. St- How would you describe what Carson Steele did on Maction, fellas? He was the Maction golden child. Ended up on Scott Van Pelt's show. Yep little bad beats segment because of his pet alligator in part because he's like the most interesting man in the Mac. Now he's going to be one of the most interesting mans at UCLA. It feels like a ball state trade. Hey, give us Michael Lewis. We'll send you Carson Steele. Let's get this in writing. Uh, good luck to Carson Steele, center Grove, Mr. Football. First ever in program history to do it. Hope, hopefully we can catch him for the end of the day too. Huge day for everybody down in center Grove. Were you... At all surprised by the transfer? No. Or where he ended up, I guess, rather? I I did he- see a note here uh, that was passed along. He had some options, gentlemen. And please, I don't want to delay us from Pacer conversation here because we just got an update about Joel Embiid, so I'll do this very quickly. Carson Steele chose UCLA over Kansas, Baylor, IU, Purdue, Kentucky. That was kind of the top six, I'm told. So, certainly... Give me that list one more time. Baylor, Kansas, Kentucky, IU, and Purdue. Good choice. Yeah. I wonder had Jeff Brom stayed at Purdue. um, I don't know. You're right. Maybe Purdue isn't a great place to be a running back, although Devin Mockaby would say, I think it worked out pretty well for me, the walk-on out of Boonville, Indiana. For sure. So, Well, happy for him. That's very exciting. Yes, yes. And I'll keep us updated about that. Uh, Pacers, Sixers tonight, fellas. Are we... Are we thinking this goes to to five in a row? Where where's this win streak go? I don't see why it can't. I mean, it, 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 to this point, every test that I've put mentally in front of the Pacers over the last three or four weeks, and like you have as well, they they've passed it with flying colors, particularly over this stretch. And even if you date back to the loss that I keep bringing up, just because it was a focal point response when they beat the Cavaliers at Cambridge uh, just last week or so, but when they lost early in December up at Cleveland, it was still a narrative around this team that they can't close games. They're yeah. not near the top of the conference. They're not able to hang around with the likes of Milwaukee, of Cleveland, of Philadelphia. And now that whole just shift has kind of changed. And I know we joke about the Wally Zerbiak comment being like a turning point for Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> well, we're not Who joking. Knows? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it was. But just in general... We had Tony East on and a couple other Pacers people that aren't with the team, but that cover it mentioned the same thing. Tony does a great job. And Tony does a phenomenal job. It felt like maybe around the time that they were back at 500, that they, they were going to slump back before this four game winning streak started, that maybe they might get there one more time this year. But this is where you're going to see the growing pain. I agree. And that was a fair assessment in my mind. Like from where they were, that's a reasonable take and understanding of where this team is. They might kind of sniff it every now and again, but they're not going to be, this is where they fade back to the pack, and they haven't done that. So going into tonight, and obviously Joel B's status is is something to monitor, 
questionable right now. Officially, so and Eddie has a theory here. Eddie? <laughs> so uh, I don't know if this – I have to look up the research on this, but I, I feel like there's always been count and mouse between these two teams. Like if Joel plays, Miles will sit out. If Miles plays, that means Joel is out. I think there's only been a handful of times in the last couple of seasons where they've been able to, you know, go at it against each other. It's an Eddie Garrison conspiracy, C, C, C. <laughs> I'm all for it. Uh, you're theory, right. Theory. October 24th, fourth game of the season. Philly wins 120-106. Okay, James Harden 29, Embiid 26, no Miles Turner. Really, they handled Embiid about as well as you could have, thinking about that was Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, Goga played a ton of minutes. Did Terry Taylor play in that game often? Yes. Uh, Philly just hit more threes. It was 19 to 12 on threes. October 24th feels like five years ago already yes. with this team. So with Joel being questionable, that's one thing to take into account. Philly's 15 and five at home. Okay. They are. Uh, where, where's this recent run? 10 and two over their past 12. So not a great time to be going out there, but I'm with you for, as we, as we've talked about this week, there is no better team to watch in the NBA because you can't get hurt. You can't get hurt watching this team. They're so fun. They're playing the second most efficient and high scoring brand of basketball on the offensive end of the floor in the Eastern conference. They are out hustling seemingly everyone. You know, the size has not been an issue in terms of rebounding to the fact where it's just like, okay, this team's nice, but they have a flaw. They can't rebound. That's where this is going to go south. No, they've they've figured it out to the degree where they can hang. I feel like tonight these all their games were very fun, but to go toe to toe potentially with Embiid if he plays to me, this would be the biggest statement of all the wins over the past nine days now because Joel's had his way with this team. I mean, and he's had his way with everybody. And you're 33 con- points a game only behind Luka. He is, is it, is it Jokic or Embiid right now? If you had to play one guy, winner take all, you have to go up against one of these two. Who would I rather it? have or who I'd rather play Who would you against? rather play against to give yourself a chance to win? Because he's been better than Jokic a great question. For like an extended period of time now this season. Obviously, from the Pacers' perspective, I know you're, you're I know why we're asking this question, but I, I, I can't choose Jokic unless we're in the finals, right? You can't really, but, 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 but on a yeah, nightly complete, basis, but your question on a nightly basis, I... We're throwing the ball up at the new right, outdoor right, court right. outside of Gamebridge, <laughs> which looks great, by it does, the way. It does. And that should be named Lance Stevenson Court. The ultimate you're pickup the attitude. I am not, I'm not against that at all. I, I love I it. Think I think we got to need to make that happen. Uh, for me, with where the Pacers are at, and to your point with why this could be the biggest win of, of this stretch, is that you're continuing to face off against teams that are right there with you in the standings in terms of your jockeying for position. I mean, if we're really entertaining craziness, which I don't know if I'm there yet, even though they've beaten Boston, you're only five games out of first. The Eastern Conference is still much like out west relatively compact in terms of just a couple games separating the loss column. Get a win against Philadelphia, another team that was viewed high up in terms of championship odds oh. throughout the year. Yeah. Them and that, Boston, yeah, right? Yeah. Who and Milwaukee. Yep. That was the three. Yep. So best of the bunch. If Embiid plays, yes. If he doesn't, it's still a win. You're still happy about it. But I don't know. I, I'd want the big fella out there 
before I declared it the best win that they've had. I would put this that season. I would put that Celtics win as their best win. Just yeah. the way they yeah, dominated yeah. them from the jump, and then they were able to close it out at the end. Like, that's the one big question about this Pacer team: right. is can you go on the road and defeat some high caliber teams? They've now done it in Boston. You go back to that Golden State game on the road that was without Tyrese, Call. and they had Andrew Nimhard there running the show. And then at that point, closing games was still a question mark. To your point, they got the big lead. Can they hold it? And they got punched it's, back, and they responded. It's been a, it's been interesting on the teeter totter of this team because at the start of the year they could close games, but they couldn't start games. Right. Then it flipped about halfway through after the first quarter or so. They could start games, but they couldn't finish. But now they're kind of putting it all together, and it's uh, it's a really fun product to go out there and watch. It's the most unselfish team I've seen in recent memory. Certainly here in Indiana, even those Vic teams, they were not this deep. And look, Tyrese Maxey's back for the Sixers as well. It'll be Harden, Maxey, and potentially Embiid. It's nice that you're running into these teams as well, as Rick Carlisle's commented, at full strength. You want these measuring stick playoff atmospheres. That crowd's going to be ruthless. I cannot wait for all the TJ McConnell cutaways tonight. He likes to troll every team in the NBA, but... This is TJ McConnell's NBA Finals tonight going back. He was beloved in Philadelphia. He's clearly still great friends with Embiid and the Sixers that were out there when he was there. He is a weapon in games like this to go out, aggravate the crowd, aggravate James Harden potentially. Harden, who's been nice. He's only played in uh, 21 games, but 22 and 11, he's been a little more efficient Jimmy, it always feels like when we check in with James Harden, James Harden three times a year, it's like, okay, is he is he still shooting thirty six times a night, or is How he many passing is he now? Yep. yep. James Harden, for everyone who's going to watch tonight, he's passing now. Yep. Okay. So, uh, although he had a big night early against the Pacers back in October, this is much more of a balanced attack with Tobias Harris. It's just fun to be previewing games like this, that knowing matter. they matter. Yes. Knowing that you've now invested a little bit, Tyrese Halliburton said after the win this weekend over Toronto, excuse me, it was Monday night. He's like, you know, we all kind of know, and we've talked about this internally, around Christmas time, NBA fan bases in each market collectively decide, all right, are we going to invest in this season? Well, that's, or is this gonna- that's the real nah. start. Of, that's the unofficial yes. start of the season for casual NBA fans is once Christmas Day yes. arrives, that's where all the, the hype and everything starts to really flow. So to his point, he's exactly right. And they're peaking now. Imagine if, okay, they were hot in October and now they've lost seven of eight. Kind of be the opposite. All right, they are who we thought they were. You know, let's... Let's not get too excited here. Well, I think had, it's the opposite. We had, like, we had Aaron Neesmith on go. last week, and I asked him, just because perspective, when you're on a championship contending team like Boston, like, what was your biggest takeaway? And this is probably obvious to people that cover the league, and I'm sure it's obvious in NBA locker rooms too, no doubt it is, but it's incredibly hard to beat a team four times in a series. That's what it takes, and it's a hard thing to do. Contenders make it look really easy. Yeah. And there's no way to simulate that in the regular season outside of we beat a variety of different teams over a five, six game stretch. Are you capable of stringing wins together? And what they're doing right now, again, it's not the same team every time. It's not the same team every time, so you can't simulate the playoffs, but you know you're capable of stringing Ws together. Right, right. I think the part I like about all of this, at least during this stretch of four games, it's been different variety of wins. It's been 
the defense can't get a stop. Okay, let's go out and we're going to score 135 and, and win a game. Uh, it's Tyrese Halliburton finishing out the game when you need him to finish the game out. It's Benedict Matherin stepping up on the bench to to give them the lead, or not the lead, but cut into that deficit the other night against Toronto when the offense was struggling, or the starters were struggling. He comes in, c- cuts the deficit down to four. Next thing you know, the Pacers are out ahead. It's just, it's fun to see them win in a totally different a variety of ways. The one thing they haven't done yet is one with their defense, and that's the last box that I think they need to check in terms of as you're going through the season is how many of these games throughout the rest of the year can you win because your defense steps up and make plays late. EG, you just I felt like I was sitting looking at Rick Carlisle on the post-game podium there. You just paraphrased exactly what he said after the win over Toronto, saying, and he, I thought this was a very unique point considering, look, he Rick knows, and this is what he shared, if you have one way to win games in the NBA, they're going to figure you out. It's nice to win games here in Indiana when you don't have to make 17, 18 threes a night. You have to be able to be a chameleon of sorts late in games, find ways to scrap. And Eddie, that was perfect. That's exactly what he said. Charlie Clifford of Wish TV, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. This is 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Jeff Saturday just spoke with reporters at the Colts Complex. We have an update about the Texans game and then also a Colt who is very close to DeMar Hamlin. Uh, a new development in that story, that update on the other side of this break. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. What an, what an afternoon. Eddie Garrison just said it feels like summer. Charlie Clifford here, Wish TV, Jimmy Cook. We're rolling together with you this afternoon, noon to three. Uh, It feels a bit ironic that we're starting to see some sunshine and we're starting to get more good updates about DeMar Hamlin. Um, One that has a Colts connection here to Indianapolis. We started to learn more about DeMar Hamlin's story, obviously, I was like many of you trying to read up who is this young man? You know, how did he get to this point? Um, and we just have been thinking about him for the past two days. And he he is he, he, he is on the top of all of our minds as we the update today is he remains in critical condition, but signs of positive things happening are coming out of Cincinnati. Jeff Saturday just met with the media. Certainly he led with he addressed the situation in front of the entire team today as they reconvened for the final game of the season. Uh, he also pointed out that yesterday, Rodney Thomas II, rookie safety from Yale, who was a high school teammate of DeMar Hamlin's, just one year younger than Hamlin. They won a state championship together. They've remained close since. Rodney Thomas was given the green light by the team and and clearly that was a very easy decision to travel to Cincinnati yesterday to be by Hamlin's side at the UC Medical Center where he's being treated. Um, and, you know, what what a special decision, Jimmy. I think as impossible of a situation is this for you and I to put our shoes, put ourselves in the shoes. Um, you know, we don't play in the National Football League we don't know the risk and the stress on a person of, of knowing that anytime you take the field, 
a life-changing event like this could occur. Uh, and look, we're still going to learn more about what exactly happened to DeMar Hamlin um, on the field Monday night. But we all have really good buddies in high school. And we all know, even if you haven't talked to each other in six months, even though life happens and you go your separate ways and you know you don't have that connection you once did, when something like this happens to that person or a family member, you know, there is not much thought that goes into what do I need to do to go help this person? It's clear Rodney Thomas made that decision and it shows you a little bit about what he's made of as well. Again, we're all trying to learn something from this uh, in the addition to sending prayers and the positive energy that I, I think is real. I think that makes a difference personally. You know, we're, we're, we're all trying to apply this in our own lives and cut out the crap, cut out the, the wasted energy and time on things that mean nothing and start to, again, prioritize things that actually mean something. Clearly, Rodney Thomas is an example of that. Yeah, it changes a lot of the perspective on things when you get an account of somebody that, that is so close to DeMar Hamlin. Uh, Charlie, you obviously highlighted this um, just on Monday night that we were so impacted by it as just third or fourth parties to all this as just viewers watching at home. How would someone that has a strong-rooted relationship with him be feeling through this, seeing his best friend having to be resuscitated on the field? It's a helpless feeling. We've all been there. That's life. Whether it's under these sudden or tragic circumstances, I think once you're around here enough, you know the the probability hits your number, so to speak. Of wow, you know there is you you feel even if you are a superstar, you know I've climbed the ladder, I've defied the odds to make it to the National Football League, and something like this happens, and you are looking you're looking for some help if if you're that close to that story. And again, I I got some heat on social media for mentioning the connection on Monday night. And look, I understand we all come from different viewpoints. And sometimes when you read things a certain way, you know, I get it, whatever. But when we say, hey, we're thinking of everyone's friends and family, too, you know, that <laughs> that's part of walking this journey yep. together. And, you know, we again... It, Everything, all the energy we're sending is to DeMar Hamlin and his family first and foremost, but everybody else and everybody else out there who something tragic has happened since since we watched that together on national TV. I, I know some of you are driving around saying, man, I need some of that too. I'm hurting today. It happens every day to somebody. And um, I think if we all have our antennas up and are looking out, and again, <laughs> it's never too late as an example of, again, we're talking the Colts safety, Rodney Thomas, if you're just joining us, we just learned he traveled out to Cincinnati to be by DeMar Hamlin's side, the critically injured Buffalo Bills safety who collapsed on the field Monday night, who remains in critical condition in Cincinnati. It is never too late to pick up the phone, whether there's a beef there, whether, you know, a disagreement that you thought, hey, this is this is good. I'm not I'm not going to blink first. Man, it, it, it's never too late to 
to call somebody up and, and the power that that can give not only the person who decides to do that, but the person on the other end of that phone who hears it, you know, when you, you hit click, that's man, that is a moving feeling. I've had it. I've had it recently where you that is it's a special gift in life when you you are willing to forgive and forget and just again stuff like this happens let's let's make sure we know what what's important here and that's a the one silver lining of this situation is it's going to wake somebody up there somebody up out there and and they're going to make a positive change in their life and they're going to they're going to make more of their time here than than they would have had this not happened. And that's, you know, that's one way to look at something positive that will come out of this along with a full recovery for DeMar Hamlin. Very well said, my friend. That's Charlie Clifford. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is behind the ones and twos. Again, as Charlie mentioned, uh, Colts having some media availability. Jeff Saturday has spoken. Ronnie Thomas II has spoken. Uh, the fan zone. Kevin Bowen out there amongst the media scrum uh, at KBowen 1070, kind of reiterating that, that Ronnie Thomas able to share some of the stories from that immense friendship, as Kevin's tweet reads, uh, from DeMar Hamlin. Uh, mentioned that he was able to see Hamlin in the hospital. And just this is what we talked about to start the show. Charlie, it's especially hard and people so often, not now, people aren't doing this now, but like Whenever someone wants to say, ah, you know, it's it's tough having to be an athlete and, and, and deal with media scrums all the time. And yeah, it's, it's a very first world problem, but it is still part of the job that gets overlooked sometimes. And then you throw in a tragedy like this, which again, we are trending mm-hmm. hopefully towards a happy ending. It's tough to navigate it. And so you tip the cap in general, particularly when you have a very tight friendship with DeMar Hamlin, like Ronnie Thomas II does, for him to actually get in front of a microphone speak through it and share what he's going through is powerful. And to your overall point, which a lot of people were sharing that on Twitter on Monday night, call somebody, call somebody you love him, hold, yeah. hold him tighter today. That speaks volumes to that. Of, hey, here's a guy, you know, he's, it speaks to the human emotion of it, of what he's going through. And like you mentioned, it's not just DeMar Hamlin. It's people all over this country, mm-hmm. over the world that, 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 that have to deal with stuff. Each day, it's never too late to pick up a phone. I that's just very well said. You bring up, we bring up a great point with not only Thomas speaking about this, but also Jeff Saturday. I've been very critical of Jeff and how things have played out on the field here. But the bottom line is, when you hire people, whether that be personnel, players, coaches, and this goes for whatever business you run, for us people who are not on that level speaking to you this afternoon on the fan again, Charlie Clifford to wish TV alongside Jimmy King. Um, you want to hire good people and Jimmy cook. So I right. just call you Jimmy King you joined an exclusive group of you know, the Ron Colley legend. <laughs> All right. And you were Yeah. Anyway, continue fab five member. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to hire good people, right? And in the interim, Jim Ursay has done that with Jeff Saturday you would never worry about, oh gosh, is he going to misstep here when handling this very delicate situation? You know, that that has been a priority of Chris Ballard, bringing in high-quality people. It's become a bit of a punchline for some about, 
you know, maybe in, in some character, in some instances, his character being weighed, outweighed here. Well, you need, you need a blend. And, and yeah. that's where we blur the lines between yeah. winning and the human element yes. of it. But you, you, you need a blend. You I, need a balance. I, I'm saying from, from a right. human standpoint. That. But just to clarify, in case criticizing, you just on the radio. Criticizing right. people for, for acquiring and seeking out good human beings. Right. I am sorry. <laughs> I will have a problem arguing that that's a terrible thing at any point or at any turn, regardless of what stage you are in life, regardless of what team or workplace you're trying to put together, I think ultimately that is a very wise thing to do. And in circum, circum, unfortunate, tragic circumstances like this, you want good leadership. Yeah. You hear good things from good people. Again, we're talking about the cumulative effect of when that happens on listeners, on people who look up to these folks on kids who are playing youth football that's a nice thing to be able to share with your children hey did you hear what this guy did on the colts you know make sure you look out for your buddies i think that would be a nice dinner conversation for anyone with young children this evening a nice way to be able to move this story in a nice direction for if you're a nine ten year old kid who's playing football who's watching that with their dad on monday night dad what's going on why you know that that is a moment as a kid that you will not forget. Oh, I watched that game with my dad. And certainly that leaves a lot of unanswered questions in a young person's mind. You know, this is a nice way to to put a positive spin on that story. Hey, look out for your buddies. Stand up. Do the right thing when they need some help. And I know that was a very easy decision for Rodney Thomas. George Bremer said, look, it was a hospital visit. Again, if you're just joining us, Colts, we're learning a little bit more about how the Colts have handled the DeMar Hamlin situation, the ongoing, very critical story that we're all following here as he remains hospitalized in critical condition in Cincinnati. Thomas physically was able to get into the hospital room, hold hands with his former high school teammate. I believe the quote he gave just moments ago, I know he heard me. He's a fighter. He's going to walk out of this. He's going to walk out of this 100%. I know that to be fact. Uh, powerful powerful stuff. And great great to hear that optimism from someone who actually saw DeMar Hamlin in person. Charlie Clifford, Wish TV, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Pacers, Sixers tonight, Butler, DePaul. We're waiting for IU's opener at Iowa. I keep saying opener, not the first Big Ten game. Also coming back, what did we learn from Jeff Saturday in terms of what's ahead this Sunday? That story's next on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, what's going on? Charlie Clifford of Wish TV. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison... Hope you're enjoying this glimpse of sunshine. It's felt fantastic. Last night, leaving Wish TV, it was like still 50 at 1230. Um, it's going to be an interesting close to the week. We've spoken about DeMar Hamlin here and our continued prayers go there. Pacers Sixers tonight in a game that we all can't wait for. As Jimmy mentioned, look, Christmas comes, Christmas goes. And if your NBA team's relevant, life is good. And I know 
seeing you down on Georgia Street, hopefully seeing you in the concourse at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, which if you haven't been over there since the pandemic, look, man, Jimmy, you can have a really good time at Gainbridge Fieldhouse just buying a cheap ticket, standing at the bar with a view of the game, both at the entry level and up top now, and kind of just letting it rip with your whoever you tag along with, knowing that uh, this team is, again, pushing people around. When opposing teams come to Indiana, it is no longer a, hey, maybe we don't have to play all our guys. We can get the job done. They're going to fight. They're going to make it a game, but they're not going to have anyone really to close. Uh, That's not the case anymore. I want to break down the tournament, which is where you certainly sit now as a Colts fan One week to go. There's five teams jockeying for the top five seeds. We have an update, gentlemen. This is just in to the 93.5107.5, the fan studio. A key update with the two seed in the tournament, the Chicago Bears. Again, here are your seeds. Houston's one. Indy's five. The Bears are two. Denver, three. Arizona, four. I want brackets on Twitter filled out. I don't We're like to reward Let's get winners. Steve Karnacki this is the tournament. That's confusing me. Let's get Steve Karnacki in here. Bracketologists unite. Uh, we have an update out of Chicago. Nathan Peterman will start for the Bears as Matt Eberflus, former defensive coordinator, embarks on his tanking odyssey. The Bears have not won a game since I think like around Halloween. It's been very bad, but. Every week you see a Justin Fields like 60-yard highlight. And from my reaction from friends back in Chicago, that's all they needed. And maybe that's where the Colts are next year. Hey, you know what? C.J. Stroud did something incredible. It's a glimpse of the future. Who cares? It's kind of depressing, but reality is reality. Nathan Peterman in for Justin Fields. Bears lose. Texans beat the Colts. Chicago gets the one seed. Gentlemen, break down everything else here. In the tournament, as Week 18 approaches. <laughs> okay, just to clarify, in case you just turn on the dial and are very confused, think you hit your head and are no, no, about no. The you, you're, you're, this is clarity. This, this is the- you are awake <laughs> to reality, Indianapolis. You've been sold visions of Lombardis, visions of of aged quarterbacks stepping into the pocket and. Not being touched, a la Tom Brady. And instead, you're headed to the front of the podium in Kansas City here, and uh, and, and now you're in the tournament. <laughs> and it's a damn good place to be. It's better than being seven and eight and one right now, everybody. Remember that. Remember that. So Houston is still with the number one overall pick or the one seed, as we're referring yes. to. First here. overall seed. There you go. They will play in the West. <laughs> they will get the regional advantage of playing in the West as Look the number the one overall game. seed. Chicago has Minnesota, is that right this week, Eddie? So you said Come on, Brian yes. Gumble. This is this is your moment. Brian yes, Gumble doesn't guess. Hey, who's the t- Steve Carnacki? Got the bracket. Let's about. freeze for a second. Take behind. We're the Zerbiak here, in folks. studio with Clark Kellogg. I thought we were including Eddie in this news. We are. I knew it was the Vikings. <laughs> I'm I just up. wanted to bring him in. I'm Eddie shutting is up. the Vikings. Correct, sir. All right. So if the Vikings win that game, and then Houston is successful in their matchup against the Colts, which in all likelihood we haven't previewed that game, but. These are two bad teams. Is there teams, something they, to preview? Well, the Texans have shown competence offensively, and the Colts haven't. So if you look at it that way... It, well, statistically, they both, they're both, have, they both have the same record. But and I'm they both saying, have averaged 16.1 points yes. a game. So first one to 17 wins Sunday. That's your first that's your full so game preview. I was going to say the We'll first write it on 10. the fan.com. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be one sentence. 
first one to 17 or 10 wins. That's your game preview. So if you're wanting Kevin the Bowen, quarterback easy work market this week. to get shuffled up, you're hoping that the Vikings beat the Bears yes. and that Houston beats Indianapolis. Give that me would the, then shift that and give the Bears the number one overall pick. Give me the if-then statement then because if Chicago's the number one overall seed with no need for a quarterback, what's the probability on draft night that they say yes to a phone call of a King's ransom to move up to the one slot to get whomever you want under can, center. Can I hit the reset button here for a second? Because I've talked with a couple Colts fans about this very Maybe. scenario. Reset button engaged. Do you want to give up a King's ransom for one of these quarterbacks? Because I, I don't feel that confidently about either one of them. Like They both look fun, but like if, if one is there at five, great. Or if you have to move up two spots for maybe like a future first, great. But if you're giving up a King's ransom, is that what you're saying? The Colts would go up to one? Who are you waiting for? Arch Manning? You have mobile quarterbacks who have won at the highest level at the biggest programs who are great leaders, who have no off-the-field concerns, who have won. I would be just as happy with Stroud at five. I'm not in the, I have to have Bryce Young camp. If you're willing to risk sitting back in, in... Dealing with the blowback of a fan base that is ready to erupt. Can you imagine? Somebody trades up, Seattle ends up taking a quarterback, and you are sitting there with Richardson as the best quarterback on the board. People would people would trade in their season tickets that night and say, what a debacle. This team couldn't get it right on the field. They couldn't get it right from a personnel standpoint. And now you waited and weren't aggressive enough to solve the one problem that you know you need to solve after six years? No. This is a conversation there is that we're no going to resume at 2.30. You can't risk it. You can't burn everything. Like, there's a difference between what What's left Kansas here? City did in What's left 2018. Here? It depends how many first-round picks you're giving up. Because you have to... Yes. This is, this oh, is, not, this is not a next-year championship team. But you team. also have the advantage of having veteran... Pro Bowl caliber players at your disposal that would help a team that's looking to rebuild. If you're the Houston Texans, they aren't going to move out. But if you're the Bears, you're Matt Eberflus, you know this roster very well. Hey, we can talk some names here along with your first at five and your first next year. I don't think that's out of the question. That's you, When you said King's Ransom, that spooked me. That, that doesn't feel like King's Ransom to me. It that wouldn't feels be like cheap. a nice moving up. No, it won't be. Yeah. It'll hurt a little bit. It will be more painful than what the Jets dealt with swapping Sam sure. Darnold for sure. Quentin Nelson's that that's kind of the the watermark you know it's going to be worse than that right but you do have vets under nice contracts who are movable and even those points it's a good point as well in terms of having a trade partner that is familiar with the construction of your roster mm-hmm. we have to take a quick break we come back we'll still focus more on Colts Texans but get a pulse from Joe Wrights in general around West 56 also of course get his take in general about Damar Hamlin, the fraternity of yeah. NFL players, and just in general, the, the the coming together movement that's happened across not only the country, but in the National Football League specifically. A little bit later, bottom of next hour, Olivia Ray joins with an update on the Cincinnati side of things. Pat Boylan, 2 o'clock, talking Pacers 76ers. But first, after this timeout, Joe Wrights, Colts Radio Network, joins next. Joe whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Rights, partner, I know you can still move Joe Wright to the Colts 
Radio Network joining Charlie Clifford to Wish TV, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. Joe writes, when you think about stuff that matters Sunday against the Texans, what's on your your short bullet list there? I assume that's it's not a very long list, but what are you intrigued about of what transpires Sunday afternoon? Yeah, well, one, uh, good to be on with you fellas. And I think, you know, first and foremost, and look, I lived through one of these seasons in 2011, right? We were 2-14. and 14. Yep. Uh, I know the Colts have been in the six-game losing streak, and that just it just stinks. Yeah, uh, you know we lost 13 in a row to start that season, and you know Jeff was playing right next to me at center, and so I know just how hard those seasons are and feel for those guys. But when you get to the last game of the season, one, I'm looking at Ellinger first and foremost, and I right. think another chance to look at him, see what you think he brings you potentially for the future. But I do think it'll be a game too. You'll get a chance to look at a lot of younger guys and. Um, you know, a lot of guys that maybe haven't played a ton, but now, you know, some different guys are going on IR. You know, they're promoting different guys from the practice squad. And, sure. You know, a chance to get some game action for some younger players on the roster that, you know, they're they're fighting, scratching, pull on like heck to try to be on this team next year. And I think that's the reality. Obviously, whenever you have a, a disappointing season, you know, there's always a lot of turnover in the NFL roster-wise, but there's even more so when you have a season like this. And, you know, so some of those younger guys, Ellinger first and foremost, but still, you know, there's a lot of guys that want to show this organization that they want to be a Colt for a long time moving forward. And I know I felt like I was a younger player when we were 2-14 and that season. And that once you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, I mean, you still are playing for your team, but it's different because you don't have that playoffs that you're really all pulling together for. But, you know, I'd be lying if, if some of, your thoughts aren't as a player. Well, <laughs> I want to make sure that I play well, so I belong back here next year, and I'm showing 31 other teams that I'm an NFL player, and there is a lot of that personal accountability um, and pride that you know guys hopefully will be playing for Sunday afternoon. Joe, it's Jimmy. We stress this all the time that – in the course of the NFL season, everything's on film. There's tape of everything. There's tape of every snap. So to your point about young players getting this opportunity and knowing that maybe this isn't an opportunity with the Colts next year, but it's showing you what you're capable of doing for one of the other 31 teams in the NFL. We've never been in that situation. What is that process like for young guys finally getting an opportunity or a bite at the apple, regardless of they're not being stakes for the team, but they're stakes for them individually, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, your, your film is your resume, right? And, you know, if you're in a, a normal job like I am now in the financial world, you have a resume and you build it out and you write down the things you're good at and your accomplishments, et cetera. In the NFL, it's your film, and that's all you got. And there's 60 minutes and there's 60 or 70 plays, and that's what you're putting out there for the Colts first and foremost, but 31 other teams. So, again, it, it's, uh, you know, this clearly is a regular season game, but obviously there's no playoff implications, you know, but. You know, it brings me back to preseason games and fans. And then I, I get it. They complain, why do we have the preseason and et cetera. But for me, that was always a chance to go out there and prove that I belonged in the NFL. So that's what I'll be watching first and foremost is Ellinger. And then some of these guys that maybe a uh, Colts fan isn't familiar with their name necessarily. What does Mike Strawn they- have to do to get on the field, Joe? Is it time to see what we've seen glimpses of? I, I, he yeah. got a ball last week and it's like, oh, my gosh, call up the search party. Mike, Mike Strawn, there's a sighting. Yeah, well, you know, and one, I know he's battled some injuries, too. When you're not a core special teams guy, right, it's hard right. to get on the field because when you can only dress 46 guys. But clearly, Strawn and Ellinger had a good rapport in training camp. Yes. You know, he threw him a bunch of balls and, and caught some, some big plays and touchdowns. And so maybe he's a guy you look for because, again, 
the, the Colts obviously are going to have a lot of needs moving into the offseason, and I know we're talking about quarterback, but just overall explosive playmakers. I said this on the Monday, radio show Monday night. When I think about the Colts, we need more explosive playmakers. Third down red zone, two areas that the Colts have really struggled. That Yeah, they've been you terrible. Could boil down, you could boil down every NFL game to turnover differential, third down, and red zone, right? And it's about making those plays on the, the money down, like they call it, when it matters. Yep. And so Strawn is certainly a guy that I think has some potential and, and would like to see him play and, and play well on Sunday. The Colts in the bottom three teams in the NFL, both in third down and red zone offenses. Joe Wright's Colts Radio Network in with us. Charlie Clifford, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. Joe, let's forecast the quarterback decision going forward. If you're Sam Ellinger, best case scenario for next season, what is that for Sam Ellinger? And also, there's a nice list now of potential quarterbacks out there. Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill. Maybe that's the top end of that list. Lamar Jackson with the assumption he will be franchised by Baltimore. Jim Irsay last week called it. I should say after the Monday night game in his interview with ESPN, he referred to it as the odyssey with this quarterback trio of Rivers, Wentz, and now Matt Ryan. Do you expect next year, week one, if you had to put it on today, is it a rookie starting week one or out of necessity from what you've learned coming off bad seasons, would the best path forward be find potentially a different veteran to plug in with what all we all expect will be a very high draft pick at the quarterback spot. And please, on the Ellinger, Ellinger front as well, your thoughts on Sam. Yeah, well, I, I think overall, when I watch the modern-day NFL, I think what you see is, you know, quarterbacks with some type of mobility, right? And there's, the, <laughs> there's, the, there's Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields, right? Guys that might be more true runners. Yeah, and game breakers. Lamar Jackson in there. But – is it necessarily healthy, in my opinion, for a quarterback to run for 100 yards every game? No, right? Yeah. Because, again, it's just a it's a matter of fact. The longer you play and guys and how big and fast and strong they are, the injury perspective. Sure. But I think Colts fans that have watched these games the last few weeks have kind of seen, you know, Kenny Pickett, uh, Dak Prescott. When you we watch the game, Justin Herbert, you know, and when you go even Daniel Jones. I mean, people forget uh, it, it was funny to me. You know, everybody's talking about the Colts and, well, they've had a rough year this year and, you know, they can't be good next year. And I always say, one, you know, we went from 2-14 and 14 to the playoffs and 11-5 and five and 2. Even Daniel Jones, fans had bags over their heads last year in the Giants oh, season finale, right? They wanted him and out. It was like, playoffs. it was him and Carson Wentz, the two yeah, quarterbacks that were being legitimately moved out yeah. by the fan base. Exactly. But you look at all four of those quarterbacks, you know, they're not necessarily run-first guys. They're not necessarily, you know – crazy explosive athletes, but the Herberts, the Daniel Jones, Pickett, you know, that type of guy that can move in and out of the pocket and make plays just because the game has changed so much. You can go back to, you know, the NFL doesn't change top down, it changed bottoms up is my belief. You know, when I was playing football in high school, you know, it was eye formation and you run the ball and now you watch everything's five wide and spread and kids are fifth grade and they're shotgun snap running zone read. (laughs) And so guys are just used to that from – seventh grade to high school to college and now we've seen that in my opinion over the last really three to five years in the nfl and just that ability to move out of the pocket and then you contrast it what are defenses defenses are faster you know lighter quicker than they've ever been to combat those quarterbacks and i just think from the quarterback position when i close my eyes you just got to think about mobility and when you talk about week one you know and who's going to play i mean joe i'm 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 glad you said you can speculate but i just think that that's the modern-day NFL quarterback, yeah. right? It's it's rare that you – I mean, the, the Tom 
Brady's and the Peyton Manning's and those guys, I just think that's really kind of a, it's over. a dying breed in terms of the NFL. Wouldn't you guys agree? I'm glad you said Kenny Pickett, Joe. A realistic blueprint for next season in Indianapolis is to hope you are in the position the Pittsburgh Steelers are right now with a young quarterback after a slow start to the year who has shown you signs of being the guy in winning time paired with a great defense, enough playmakers to go out there and win on the downs that you mentioned are key. The difference is they have Mike Tomlin and anyone who thinks, you know, Mike Tomlin isn't the reason that that team has not had a losing season in a decade and a half. You know, I, I have nothing for you this afternoon. To me, Kenny Pickett, that blueprint, that is, that is an optimistic, you know, outcome for next year in Indianapolis. Jimmy, go ahead. Joe, I was just going to switch gears for a second on that front and ask in regards to Houston because they are in the mix once again near the top of the draft, holding the first pick right now. Bryce Young has been linked to them. But in terms of, of Sunday's matchup, Davis Mills was still speculated to start the year as, as an option somewhere in the NFL. Maybe not a starting quarterback option, but 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 that's a hard job to be successful at, whether you're a first string or second string. There's the best in the world at that position. What have been your thoughts on Davis Mills and just the way the Texans have utilized both him and Jeff Driscoll at times this season? Yeah, I, I think okay. I think, you know, in my opinion, the Texans, if they got the number one pick, they're probably going to draft a quarterback. Right. Uh, but I think that's the other thing that's hard, too, with a young quarterback. People automatically just assume, you know, guys can come in and play well year one, year two. I mean, it's a tough job. I mean, Trevor Lawrence yep. in Jacksonville very well may win the division. I think they're going to. There's a lot of people that were speculating on, you know, him and, and is he the long-term future in Jacksonville. And that's because generally when you're picking in the top five, your overall roster constructed isn't as great. And so just bringing in a quarterback, um, again, the NFL and, and college is a completely different animal. So I think that's, too, also what you think about if you're the Colts and, you know, obviously moving forward and, and the page is going to turn awful quick after Sunday afternoon to next year. But not just the quarterback, but the overall roster, right? And where are their holes? Where do we need to get better? Because just to think, you know, bringing in a different type of quarterback and that's no. going to change everything, that, that that's false hope, too. And so yeah. – it's a matter, in my opinion, of really taking you know an honest look. If if you're Jim Irsay on where exactly is our team at, where exactly is our building at, and to me, probably most important, where where is the culture at? Because I think there you go. the the high water mark. You know, Rick Venturi and I have talked about this. You know, Christmas Day, you beat the Cardinals on a road. Mm -hmm. Nobody thinks you were going to win, and since that game, it's just kind of been this continual downhill slide for the Colts. And to me, you know, that's the uh, that's the locker room, and that's the things you got to dig in in terms of, you know, what is our culture when we walk in the building on a daily basis, and getting back to that winning culture because I always would joke with my friends, you know, when I was playing, it's like it's not easy to just show up and win eleven and twelve games. Every year. You know, Colts <laughs> no. fans, we've kind of been spoiled yeah. in a good way uh, for the golden years in terms of, you know, okay, are we going to win eleven this year, thirteen? Are we going to be the one seed or the two seed? You know, that's. That's really hard to do, and, and certainly the Colts, we've lived that now here over the last couple years, but especially really the last 12 months since that win you know, against Christmas, uh, against Cardinals on Christmas and things have started going downhill. Joe, we certainly want your thoughts on DeMar Hamlin. We just learned within the last hour, uh, Rodney Thomas, the second rookie safety, who's come out of nowhere, seventh-round pick from Yale, to really solidify himself as a starting safety in the National Football League this quickly. We've been impressed with what he's done on the field. We're learning just 
the impressive young man he is off the field as well sharing that his high school teammate, DeMar Hamlin, back in Pittsburgh, they were one grade apart. You know, he made the decision yesterday with the approval of the Colts, who that was a very easy decision for the great people, you know, who make the calls there. He goes, travels to Cincinnati, spends time in DeMar Hamlin's hospital room, holding his hand, you know, in prayer with his family. You watched Monday. Um, I, I think back to your career, you know, a teammate with Austin Collie briefly, you think back, I forget the year, that very frightening scene in Philadelphia with Austin. When you were watching Monday night, how did you process that? And how do you feel now that we know DeMar Hamlin, positive signs out of Cincinnati, but still there's a very long way to go for this young man? Yeah, well, I'd say that's great news. I hadn't heard that, that there were some positive signs and reports. So that's awesome. And I think, um, you know, probably like everybody in the NFL community and fraternity, you watch that and it just is, it really just kind of just stops you in your tracks in terms of um, just how much you feel for that situation and the the gravity of it and uh, just, you know, how scary it was to kind of watch and unfold real time. So were you watching um, that you know, game yeah. live, Joe? Was that I, I, I wasn't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then you, you turn on social media and everything there. Yeah. And, and so, you know, saw uh, different views and, uh, you know, people uh, talking about it, what had happened. But it's just uh, really, really hard. And again, you know, pray to the uh, the good Lord for his family and for their healing. And I think the the uh, showing the support from everybody from the NFL fraternity to people in Cincinnati to to Bills fans everywhere. Uh, you just mentioned, you know, Rodney Thomas, who, you know, again, side note, is having a great season for the Colts. That's, right. a, that's a heck of a draft pick. That's <laughs> the seventh round for the season that, that he's done. But uh, it, it just makes you put things in perspective. And I think, we, you know, we all get going quick in life and the hamster wheel spins. And um, and so just a, just a really, really hard situation. And um, it, it's been nice to see – Again, the out point of support from the NFL guys and fraternity. Because at the end of the day, that's what it really is, right? You want to go out and, and compete like heck and, you know, beat the other guy. But, you know, guys don't want to injure people and, and ruin other people's careers. And I think that's the it's also just part of the brutal reality of the NFL is, you know, we, we would joke about it sometimes, but, you know, somebody gets hurt in practice and, you know, their, their ankles hurt or their knee. And, and what do you do? You move the drill, you know, 20 yards and you keep going. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's the – that's the tough part about the NFL, but obviously that injury was just at a completely different level. And I think that's something the NFL hasn't seen in a really, really long time. And again, social media, right, makes things a lot more visible. You know, I know there's been tragic situations over time, but I think that the magnitude of that game, Monday Night Football, social media, the way that it happened has had a further reaching influence on uh, the super severe injury for DeMar more so than probably at any other point in time throughout the NFL's history. And I think that's probably why it's, you know, continued to be talked about day after day after day, if that makes sense. Yeah. Joe Wright's nice enough to take some time with us today via the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline, the Motor Shop in Fishers and the motorshop.com for your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment services, and so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop in Fishers and the motorshop.com. Joe, I did want to dabble in one more time in regards to the draft. I know that's going to be something that's on the minds of Colts fans and something you're going to be scouting and following along with as we get closer and closer to April's draft. We know there's still one game left to play, but having, I'm sure, at least consumed from afar some of the college football season this year, and maybe you got a chance to see the the college football playoff games this weekend. Do you have any, in terms of fit, 
where a player would fit best for the Colts in terms of some of those top prospects like uh, Bryce Young, like CD. Go, Joe. You're on the clock. Yeah, uh, not uh, maybe not specifics. I thought, I thought you were going to ask me if the Colts should lose, and I had my answer prepared. It was an old, an old Nick Saban quote: "It's never okay to lose." There and you I go. That's it. I know that better than that, Joe. Running a program the here. The, the Colts are going to pick somewhere between four and six, and in my opinion, does it really matter if you're four or six? No, because you know, in my opinion, if you see a guy that you like at that quarterback position, you do what it takes to move up there, and the Colts are close enough that it shouldn't be a, a, a too big of an issue. But I haven't watched a ton of college football, honestly. You know, I just try to stay focused on the NFL and the Colts yeah. and then, uh, you know, third-grade football with my son. <laughs> so I love I love college football, but I, I, I would just be pure speculation in terms of who I've, I've studied and watched, et cetera. I don't get into it that much. I will do some more draft as we lead up to the analysis, but it's a uh, – it's an incomplete answer for me from that perspective. Let me rephrase. <laughs> let me rephrase it then. What stylistically would you like to see in the next quarterback in the Indianapolis Colts in terms of play style overall at the position? Pocket passer can't leave. <laughs> uh, I, I think that that mobi- the mobility you want that athleticism, but I, I'm still a you know a pass first guy. Again, you know, I would say Justin Fields is a run first quarterback at this point. He can evolve into that. I just think the you know being able to do that year over year time after time with your body and and the hits yeah. that you're going to take I just think is necessarily unrealistic and so you compare him to a a Justin Herbert right you know that somebody that can you know run around and do well but you're really running and are you scrambling to throw or are you scrambling to run you probably could distill it down to that and to me I'm I'm a fan of quarterbacks that are athletic and can move but they're scrambling to throw that ball down over your field for 60 70 yards I mean I think you know, when you look at the, the AFC, you know, th- those are the quarterbacks that are doing well right now. And the, the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allens of the world, those are going to be the guys that you're going to have to beat if you're the Colts, you know, moving forward. Joe, this just came down. I, I would like your perspective on it. Final question from us. Really appreciate you joining us again. Joe writes alongside Charlie Clifford, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison. The turn of events for Carson Wentz. One year ago, as you mentioned, Christmas night, the win. It's a win-and-in situation against the Raiders, win-and-in situation against the Jaguars. It doesn't happen. He's moved to Washington. He will now not start the finale in Washington after losing what was a must-win game this past week against the Cleveland team with Deshaun Watson. On your home turf, though, after having a rocky start in Washington, Taylor Heineke comes in, wins here in Indianapolis with the ball to Terry McLaurin, the hometown hero. Ron Rivera just announced Sam Howell's going to start the finale for the Commanders, it appears Carson Wentz, barring some sudden change of events, will be looking for now another new home, a third NFL team, I should say a fourth NFL team in four years. Your perspective on how this story has evolved on the top of the NFL world as an MVP candidate, and now Carson Wentz very clearly heading to, I think at best, maybe competing for a starting spot on a on a team that's very, you know, looking for a quarterback desperately or more likely a backup quarterback position for the first time in his football life next year. Your thoughts on that situation, Joe? Yeah, that's interesting. I, did, I didn't know that news, um, you know, but you clearly Washington, they had high expectations and uh, didn't perform. And, and that's the reality of the NFL. And so I'm sure, you know, they got a young guy there, Powell, that they want to take a look at and, you know, not, uh, you know, similar but different ways to, you know, the Colts and Sam Ellinger and, you know, kind of seeing what he can do um, in terms of, you know, can they give him a spark and, and also looking for him for the future. Um, and so, yeah, it's just interesting. Definitely been a, uh, 
a fall from grace for uh, you know Carson Wentz, and I didn't really get the chance to know him, you know, when he he was Indy. But that that obviously is a surprising move for me. Um, but again, that that's the that's the reality of the NFL. We always say we know we're on one day contracts here, you know, players and coaches included, because at the end of the day, it, it's a bottom line business, right? And, and wins and losses. Uh, matter more than everything else and that's you know you could kind of look at the cold season and and you could you know lump that into the same just it's, it's one thing to, to have a disappointing season it's another one when expectations were really high yeah like everybody else thought this you know uh, team was going to be really good and unfortunately hasn't bared out that way so that's why it's been tough especially you know as a fan especially as a, an alumni of the of the horseshoe but but look to to brighter days ahead for sure joe thanks for some clarity on that situation Awesome conversation here. Can't wait to get you back on here. Have a have a blast Sunday if it, that's even possible. But I know there's nothing like it the ju- there's it nothing is. like the juice of an NFL stadium. You know, it's 50 degrees right now. Let's go. It feels like spring. If you're a Colts fan, get to touch downtown 10 o'clock a.m. Last one of the season. We'll get it fired up on the pregame show with uh, me, Let's go. John, Bill Brooks, and yeah. uh, JMV. There we go. Joe, I know in like mid-June we would all be like, I would give anything to watch Colts, Texans just to have a little football. So let's keep that in the back of our minds too. Maybe maybe we can have nope. some fun for a change. No question. We'll let's be go. fired up in touchdown town. Get it rocking. Joe, you forgot the most important name out of that group and Jeffrey Gorman. <laughs> Uh, that, that might have been a purposely left. <laughs> you, know, you know how we do that. So, uh, yeah, we, we like, he, he does bring a lot of good juice, but we, we do like to give him a hard time. Joe Wrights, we appreciate you. The mower shop from Fisher's Hotline, Charlie Clifford, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. I want to quickly put a, put a final note here on this Carson Wentz situation. Again, he's going to be done in Washington. It will be his fourth team in four years next year. Joe mentioned he didn't really have the chance to get to know Carson very well, obviously with the protocols and whatnot. It was just a different season last year. I understand that. I was in the camp of, okay, I did get to know Carson Wentz a little bit through his relationship with sports director Anthony Calhoun over at Wish TV. You know, look, Carson Wentz is a great human being. He's a great guy. Yep. And not many got to see, you know, that side of things. Um and just on a personal level, to become the punching bag at the quarterback position over the last three years, the other side of the coin is you would fire back at me. Well, he's been compensated like he's like a top 10 quarterback and he hasn't been a top 25 quarterback. That's fair. But on a personal level, the the, the stuff he's had to go through, he's got two young kids, had to move a bunch. I feel bad for the guy. I mean, this is. Yeah, I. This is I, I, this has gone as south as it could have gone, I, considering he was an MVP candidate. I, this this doesn't happen. I, MVP candidates, you know, and it, it, you're right. It's been because of on field performance. You can't say he hasn't gotten a shot. I'm just. I want to say that knowing that 95 percent of people really didn't get to know him. Um, it's just yeah, it's not his fault. You wish that him. would happen it's to not, some guy who's just an egomaniac yeah. loser, and then you can be like, "Good," you know that that hasn't been the case with him, and uh, it's just it's just a weird story, man. It's not his fault the Colts paid him that contract, and if you're a Commanders well, that was fan, a Philadelphia you know, contract. Well, it's not fault. It's not yeah. his fault the Philadelphia yeah. gave it to him. It's not his fault the Colts yeah. traded for it. It's not his fault the Commanders traded for it. Eddie's going to kill me for all parties involved. <laughs> oh no, no not cap you, hit. the one who's talking. There's no cap no. hit. Uh, There's no cap hit for the commanders when they inevitably cut him next year.
Zach Taylor just spoke in Cincinnati. First comments from the Bengals after the tragic scene Monday night. We continue to pray for DeMar Hamlin. Olivia Ray in Cincinnati. She was at that press conference. She's going to join us next. And Jimmy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Cook's favorite song on a, a Wednesday afternoon. That's just, that's sweet of Eddie Garrison to, to tribute you like that, Jimmy the Cook. The problem usually is me, so yes, I'm big... You're, big you're, fan you're of a very self-aware jam, person, oh, yeah. oh, which yeah. is Try nice. To Try to be. Charlie yeah. Clifford, Wish TV, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. We just heard from Joe Wrights. We're trying to push Joe a little bit on the quarterback dilemma here. Um, not a ton of updates coming from Jeff Saturday's availability. Obviously, Jeff with some very classy words about the DeMar Hamlin situation. This was the first time the Colts have spoken on camera since... What we all watched unfold on Monday Night Football, DeMar Hamlin remains in critical condition in Cincinnati. We learned that Colts safety, Rodney Thomas II, a high school teammate of Hamlin's back in Pittsburgh, made the trip to Cincinnati yesterday to be bedside holding hands with his great friend. And um, although we understand Hamlin is still sedated and in critical condition, certainly power of prayer and the decision that was made by Rodney Thomas to go support his high school friend. That's just, it's just very cool to say the least. Um, Pacers Sixers tonight, Jimmy, much lighter note. Five in a row could be seven of eight. Joel Embiid questionable for the tip off. So I know some of you thinking about, all right, am I going to try to financially benefit myself riding this Pacer hot streak? Very important note that Joel Embiid is now questionable. Embiid's, Hasn't played in 30 games. Jim, none of these Sixers big three, Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, uh, Joel Embiid, none of them have played 30 games yet. And this team has still found a way to win and comes in tonight 22-14. and Um, This is a test, another test, another fun test, another probably outside of Boston, maybe right up there with their will be the best atmosphere of the year so far. Philly's just... Tyrese Max, he was out for a month. He came back in three games ago. Like, big standing ovation. Yep. That city is on the Sixers bandwagon right now. They've Along been, with the Eagles, obviously. They, right. They, they beloved Tyrese Maxey, uh, the beloved Joel Embiid in general. I mean, they, Philly's a, as passionate fan base as anybody. I, I'd rank, obviously, Pacers fans at Gabriel Fieldhouse when they're rolling up there as well in terms of the atmosphere you're going to uh, experience on a nightly basis. But now, obviously, the Pacers... Head over to Wells Fargo Center tonight and look to, as you mentioned, get a fifth straight win, but continue to measure themselves with the rest of the Eastern Conference. I mean, over the last stretch of games for the Pacers, fast break points have been through the roof. Bench points have been through the roof. They're shooting about 50% from the field. It wasn't 41% the Raptors. From 54, the arc. To yeah, 54, 54 to 7 was the bench point margin there. There are still areas and... and Coach Carlisle has stressed this as well, where especially on the defensive end, they are still growing as a unit and and kind of adapting themselves to what you're seeing in the fast break numbers of getting a stop on one end and turning it into successful points on the other and then compounding that into long stretches of just being frustrating 
to the opposition. And if you're going to be at that level on the defensive end, I don't want to say sky is the limit, but in terms of what... It goes from being able to make a little noise in the playoffs to being a serious threat in terms of the early goings of the Eastern Conference by the time we hit April. The beauty of it, whatever happens between now and then, it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be... And that's the biggest thing. You asked you or I a year ago, what do we want next season to be about? I want them to be fun again. I want them to win, but I want it to be an enjoyable experience full of young talent that I can get behind. And I can that's see what a finish get, line. That's what you're getting. On a nightly basis. You went from in a year to having starters where you're, you had to admit, okay, they're very good NBA players, DeMont Sabonis namely, but I don't really love even watching this brand. I don't even love watching starters. Where now you're watching like, hey, I, I'm not going to sign off when this bench is in the game because TJ McConnell, Ben Matherin, uh, that backup unit, Jalen Smith now is kind of being rotated in that crew. That crew is fun to watch. That brand of basketball is fun. And as you said, when you're scoring 115 a night, you can, you can give up a little on the defensive end and still find a way to win. The offense has been awesome. We're going to go back to the DeMar Hamlin story right now on the fan, 93.5107.5, Charlie Clifford, Wish TV, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Olivia Ray, former colleague of mine at Wish TV, now at WLWT Television in Cincinnati. Olivia covered the game Monday night and just heard from Zach Taylor, Bengals head coach, for the first time at the podium since this life-changing story Um for all of us, as we continue to try to take some positive notes out of this and await positive updates on Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin. Olivia, thanks for taking a little time on what's been a very trying 48 hours for you as a professional journalist. You listened to Zach Taylor. What did you learn from the Bengals head coach this afternoon? Break down the nuts and bolts that I think a lot of football fans as a whole wanted to know right now. Uh, Zach Taylor did say that the Bengals are in the building today. In fact, I just spoke with Jamar Chase on my way walking out of Paycor Stadium to my car, asked him how he was doing. He was still pretty somber, um, said he was doing all right, asked about T. Higgins. They said he's he's handling it as well as he could, obviously affected by the situation. Zach Taylor said they will play the Ravens on Sunday. There is still no word of when that game will kick off here in Cincinnati because obviously the start time was supposed to be determined by Monday Night Football's outcome, um, which, again, Zach Taylor also said there has been no decision on if that game will be played at a later date or not against the Bills. So that's nuts and bolts from a football perspective. Zach Taylor was clearly trying to hold back tears um, mm-hmm. in a lengthy statement, first of all, offering his his prayers and, and thoughts to DeMar and his family and the entire Bills organization. Um, he also made note that he said all of the confusion, I think, that we watched unfold where the Bengals started to warm up. Joe Buck reported right. being in touch with the league officials that um, they were given a five-minute warm-up warm period. Zach Taylor made note that that really was never a thought to them. They were trying to process what was happening, something that none of them have ever been through. Um, he said his first conversation with Sean McDermott, he walked over to him on the sideline and he said, Zach, I need to be at the hospital with tomorrow. I can't coach this game. And he said it was wow. then that he realized, you know, this there was absolutely no way that could go on. That's when 
they went back to the locker rooms and started to, I think, dissect how to move forward and, and the best possible way to communicate that with the 70,000 people that were sitting in the stands waiting word. We learned earlier today, Olivia, again, this is Olivia Ray, WLWT TV in Cincinnati, uh, that Colts safety Rodney Thomas, a high school teammate of DeMar Hamlin, traveled to Cincinnati and was able to spend time with his family next to Hamlin's bedside. Who else, in terms of, from what you've gathered, has made the trip to Cincinnati to spend time with, um, clearly, a young man who needs every prayer he can get at this moment in time? Yes, well, I was in touch with and actually standing outside the Bills locker room as all of this was unfolding, and stadium security um, tried to stop Stefan Diggs from leaving as the rest of the Bills were in the locker room that night. He told them he needed to be with family and friends and then proceeded to ask people outside the stadium for directions to the hospital, which if you're familiar with Cincinnati, UC Medical Center is a two-mile hike fully uphill. I do believe he tried to walk some of it, eventually got an Uber and got to the hospital to see his teammate. Um, I do not Hmm. believe he left with the rest of the Bills organization because they left directly from Paycor Stadium. Um, I know that Cal Adamidas, the Bengals' long snapper, went to high school and college at Pitt. He's been in touch with the family, and Tyler Boyd has as well. I expect to speak with Tyler Boyd later this evening. Um, Zach Taylor made note, too. He said it it really hit him hard when he saw TB out on the field amongst the Bills, and he said, Tyler, do you know him? And he said, that's my guy from Pitt. And he said he knew that there was no way they could could continue playing, and and he knew that this – I think the gravity of the situation when he saw Tyler's face – because Tyler, as you just asked, I know has been in touch with his family and been visiting as well. Wow. Olivia, it's Jimmy. Um, obviously, this is a very tough situation for everybody, but but nationally, and I'm not going to give the airtime to those that did it, but, but some people very unfairly and crudely suggested that T. Higgins had something to do with this. Obviously, we know that not to be true. It was just a football play. It's an unfortunate accident. Uh, did Zach speak at all on, on how T. Higgins is doing through all this? Yes, he said T is handling it as well as he could be, um, and that's really the only comment he made on it. I don't expect to hear from T today. I do expect to hear from Ted Karras, um, who is the NFLPA representative, player rep for the Bengals. I've spoken with Ted actually just this morning um, before we expect to hear with him. He said that the Bengals and the NFLPA have provided counselors and clinicians Um, to anyone that would like to speak with them or needs help. So I think that's right now that's the best that they can do is offer the help. Um, But we haven't spoken with T personally. Like I said, I just asked Jamar how he's doing and and the look on his face said that they're leaning on each other is is what I'm going to read between the lines right now. So Olivia Ray out of Cincinnati, WLWT-TV. She covered Monday Night Football and certainly a tip of the cap, Olivia, to you and all the local journalists in Cincinnati as we were reading and waiting for updates across the country. Uh, I thought overwhelmingly the reporting of facts and not speculation and the 
you know, making sure at, at top of mind that out of respect to DeMar Hamlin and his family, I, I thought things were just, it was a masterclass by so many people and how they addressed that situation. This was an update 10 minutes ago from the Buffalo Bills. DeMar Hamlin remains in the ICU in critical condition. Signs of improvement were noted yesterday and again last night. Uh, he's going to remain in intensive care. That is uh, certainly, again, taking small, small steps forward here in, in terms of positive updates. I was able to connect briefly with Naheem Hines, former Colt running back who's now a Buffalo Bill uh, he had, you know, been very appreciative of many folks from Indianapolis reaching out to him, and you know, it, it's always good to have Naheem Hines on your side, especially in an unprecedented circumstance like this. Someone who cares about other people, and he basically left the note with saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold these guys together. I'm gonna do my part. We're gonna be okay." Uh, Olivia, your sense of the city of Cincinnati, a city that above everyone else in the National Football League has gone from, you know, the doormat to Super Bowl contender essentially overnight, as quick as you can do it in the NFL in this day and age. Uh, I know personally my wife lives in Cincinnati. I have seen that town painted in orange and the energy and the jolt that team has given everyone who lives in and around that city. How would you describe the feeling as you go around from the hospital to, I assume, downtown spots over the last two days. Please give us a glimpse into what it's like right now downtown. Every billboard, um, especially, you know, every electronic billboard has been replaced with a sign that says, pray for Damar. It has his number three plastered everywhere. Every city, including every city landmark, including Pecor Stadium, has been lit up blue for the last what, 48 hours now. Um, this entire city who is very impartial to their football team has <laughs> all been wearing blue. Um, it's it's really incredible to see them come together along with all of the Buffalo fans that have actually extended their trip and have attended a prayer vigil for DeMar last night. Some of them I know had to make their trip back and have been stayed in touch with the Bengals fans that were next sitting next to them in the stands. Everyone has been checking on each other. I mean, this was a traumatic event for the 70,000 people that were sitting in the stands as well. So as Zach Taylor just praised the city of Cincinnati and how they handled this with class um, and how they continue to handle it and support Bill's mafia as well throughout this. Livia, you were obviously live tweeting at times Zach Taylor's comments today. One of the last tweets you got out there before you joined us, and again, just a lot of tough questions across the board, but one of them was asked, which isn't the most important thing right now, but is an element that is going to be visited at some point as Week 18 arrives, is does all of this give pause to any of the players about taking the field again? Yes, and I think that goes without saying that this is going to be in the back of everyone's mind anytime they take the football field. One, all of the players that were on the field on Monday night, but also everyone that tuned in to Monday night football or everyone that just has seen the severity of this injury. He said that he understands that his locker room knows what they signed up for. This is a physical game. It's a dangerous game. And 
he doesn't believe that anyone in this locker room um, will maybe, I'm not going to say opt out of games or anything like that, but he said that he's been given no indication of that at this time. Obviously, all they can do right now is provide support to their players. He praised the team chaplain, Vinny Ray. And then, as I said, they are providing counselors and clinicians to speak with um, to any of the players because while it may not be said out loud, it will give some of them pause, but he also knows that they understand how physical this game can be at times. And that certainly will be the case on Sunday as the Ravens travel to Cincinnati. Again, we're waiting official kickoff time, Baltimore Bengals and as the NFL nation begins to try to heal here along hopefully with more positive updates on DeMar Hamlin it will be a tearjerker of a Saturday and a Sunday as games across the NFL take a moment of silence in prayer for DeMar Hamlin and then followed by the national anthem Olivia Ray at Olivia Ray TV please if you are tied to this story as much as we are here on the fan give olivia foul she will provide the updates going forward out of cincinnati live great to hear you under these unfortunate circumstances all the best going forward in cincinnati keep up the great work all right thank you appreciate you guys it's olivia ray wlwt tv jimmy it's been nice to piece together yesterday richard skinner another television reporter in cincinnati Dan Horde, the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals, and now Olivia Ray again, as we just learned from Buffalo uh, 10 minutes ago on Twitter. Signs of improvement yesterday and again overnight for DeMar Hamlin, but still a long way to go for this young man. For Charlie Clifford, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, this is 93.5 The Fan. Pacers Sixers tonight. What's the X factor going to be? Plus, the big statement last night in college basketball in this state and it had nothing to do with IU, Purdue, or Butler. That story after the break. Shout out. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Papa Cliff, Brian Clifford back in Chicago with this song. Charlie Clifford here, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. Jimmy, my dad and I once snuck into a Rolling Stones concert at the United Center. Yeah. Uh, it's probably seven or eight years ago now. Um, didn't have tickets. It was night two of a back-to-back set, Mick and Co. We tried to scalp. You could get in for like 550 and sit up back row of the United Center. If you've been to the United Center, that's not a fun place to sit for any event let alone a concert of that magnitude, befriended a yellow shirt. If you're all familiar with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, they they work elsewhere as well. It's always yellow shirts. Who, who decided 50 years ago that any live event, they were they will wear yellow. Stands out. They, they it's it deserves its own 30 for 30. <laughs> we befriend this guy and he says, hey, hang here. You know, there is a table of like VIP seats. A lot of these people, you know, especially second night, you know, they don't show up to see the Stones, which I think people have gone to prison for less than that. Sure. Sure enough, Stones come on. You know, my dad was like, we're looking at the train schedule. Let's just get back home. You know, we tried. Let's go. Let's go get a beer. Door opens. Fellas, you're in. Let's go. Don't say anything. No pictures. 
nothing. Two seats. We walk in to Mick. Hey, you get off of my cloud. I'm like, Dad, whatever we do the rest of our lives, this is going to be the coolest thing we ever do. Just self-incriminated yourself. You know what? I feel like uh, statue limitations. Thank is you. Fine. Yeah. yeah, enough yeah. time has passed. Yep. And thank you for allowing me to to share a uh, a Mount Rushmore moment with with old Papa Cliff. And and we're out of time already. Uh, back on the show, Pat Boylan, Pacers, Sixers tonight in Philly. It's going to be nasty there. It's going to be a dogfight. And guess what? Rick Carlisle's team isn't afraid of anybody. Pat Boylan on the other end of this break. Get on the Pacer train before it's too late. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Happy Hump Day. Happy Wednesday to you. Jimmy Cook, Charlie Clifford. Eddie Garrison spinning great yarn behind the ones and twos. Joining us now via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline. Motorshop and Fishers, motorshop.com for your residential commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power equipment, tools, and so much more at themotorshop.com. He is the wearer of many hats around Gabridge Fieldhouse, including the radio host and sideline reporter for your Indiana Pacers, Pat Boylan. You can follow Pat. him on Twitter, at Pat Boylan Pacers. Pat, thanks for making the time, as always, and jumping right in. You mentioned this on Twitter the other day, but acknowledging four straight, six of seven for the Sirs, what's been the biggest key to this stretch of strong play for Indiana. Gentlemen, I appreciate you having me on first and foremost, and it's undoubtedly been the play of the Pacers down the stretch in these games. So there's numerous ways that you can evaluate uh, close games in terms of three-point games, five-point games, but one metric the NBA uses is called the clutch game, which is (laughs) if a game is at any time within five points in the final five minutes, it qualifies for a clutch game. And basically, if you look at the Pacers' stretch of their last 12 games, they lost four out of five. There was that Knicks game where uh, the Pacers did not close out a six-point lead late. We know the comments that were made by Wally Zerbiak. And really, ever since that game, the Pacers have been excellent in these close games. And really, when you look at a lot of it, um, the Pacers were playing in a ton of close games in that stretch where they lost four or five, and they're playing in a ton of close games in this stretch where they're winning six of seven. The difference has been the play in these final few minutes. And a couple things stand out about what they're doing. The Pacers have the fifth best defense in the last five minutes of these games here lately, which obviously Great note. is a major key. But it's been Tyrese Halliburton. And the, the guy's averaging 10 points per game in the fourth quarter over this stretch. If you think about that, that's the pace of a player scoring 40 points per game if he were to do that in all four quarters. And shooting at great numbers, his, his typical ball distribution is there. And he's, he's getting to the rim, I think, a lot more, which is significant, too. I think he probably felt like he maybe settled a little bit too much. And it just seemed like something has clicked for him down the stretch in these games lately. And I think it's a fantastic and uh, really interesting storyline to watch here going forward if he can keep this going. Pat, Rick Carlisle has commented recently, look, why do I lead the league in technical fouls? I'm trying to protect a culture here that is in a growth stage in a situation where a month ago, everyone externally, subconsciously, for better or worse, looked at this as a rebuilding project. Um, You know, that certainly at some point will work against you when the ball's tipped and you're on the road and you're fighting for young players that are fighting to prove themselves. The biggest change over this 
seven-game run now, behind the scenes from a confidence standpoint, has it been moving mountains in terms of the confidence from this group? How would you describe what this recent hot stretch has been four in the row, six of seven? Bring us into that story. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, as I was just saying, the Pacers, it really doesn't feel like they're playing drastically differently sure. until the ends of these games. Like, they were playing in a lot of close games and dropping some recently, and then in this last stretch, playing in a lot of close games and excelling down the stretch. So I really don't think um, there was a major sort of confidence change, but I did think Tyrese Halliburton had an interesting comment as it relates to that, which is, he was asked why he feels like the Pacers have been a lot better closing out games lately. And he said it's because we lost a lot of these games (laughs) uh, earlier in the year. And he said there's no better teacher than dropping some of these and learning, you know, the way not to do it. And and he feels like he himself and the Pacers as a team have really benefited from some of those games where things didn't go well. And, you know, if that really is the case, if that is what's happening here, I think it's a tremendous sign, a team that can learn from its mistakes midseason not always the easiest thing to do especially when you've got a group as young as this one is right I mean Tyrese Halliburton's the leader of this whole thing he's 22 years old Uh, I was still in I mean many of us are still in college and we were 22 years old and he's doing these type of things so I, I think it's it's really been they've done an excellent job at looking back at maybe some areas where they could have improved upon in these late stretch games, but also uh, just in these games in general. And they've made those tweaks mid-season on the fly. And I think it's been really impressive to watch a group that is as young as this one do that. Pat, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, the I don't want to say the jury was still out, but there was still a interesting talking point of where was the season going to tilt as the teeter-totter was kind of unfolding for the Pacers in the early going first third of the season, are they going to be a team that spans ahead and is in the middle to higher ups of the Eastern Conference? Or are they going to teeter back to the lottery? The answer, at least over this stretch, is they are going to be a playoff team and a force to be reckoned with. Has this stretch moved that way fully for you? And are the changes they've made and the tendencies they've adapted over these last couple of games sustainable long term? Yeah, it's interesting because you're not going to go – I mean, for the Pacers' perspective, they have won five straight of these games that qualify as clutch. Even the very best teams, the one with the ones with the biggest superstars. Pat, how many games did they do that last year, clutch wins? What was that win total? Do you know that? The Pacers – I do. The Pacers had 11 clutch (laughs) wins last year, and they've got 14 already this year. So it's, it's a massive jump. And a lot of this is what Tyrese Halliburton is doing. A lot of this is what the Pacers are improving upon down the stretch. Um, But even the very best teams don't win all of these games, right? So, I mean, there's going to be probably some regression to the mean, which is important to note. And I think it's, if you're a Pacers perspective, maybe a a next step is playing in a few less of these games for good reasons, getting yourself a little bit of a bigger cushion and not needing uh, the final couple of minutes. But, I mean, we're talking about, to me, steps that I thought we'd be talking about in two to three years. So the fact that we're already there I think is 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 pretty fascinating and I think I think it's still very much up in the air I mean we hit the midway point of the season on Sunday the Knicks are a great you know lesson of just how quickly things can jump up or jump down good point that night they beat the Pacers the Knicks had won seven in a row and had moved up to six and the Pacers were three games behind them we're just two weeks later and the Pacers are now ahead of the Knicks the two teams have flip-flopped the Knicks have kind of done a nosedive and the Pacers have jumped up 
And the reason that I don't have a, a definitive answer to that question is because a comment that I thought Rick Carlisle said, which has been as telling as anything he's maybe said all year, he feels like in his 38 years he's been involved in the NBA, the league has never had more parity. And just look at the Eastern Conference standings, look at the Western Conference standings, and say, okay, if you pull any team besides maybe the couple at the top of the East and a couple at the bottom of both the East and the West, and sure. you say, let's give that team a six-game winning streak. Look what it does. I mean, it, it dramatically changes their positioning. So there is so much parity this year that I think – we're all still kind of along for the ride, but this recent trend um, in general has been has been terrific just to kind of see the Pacers turn a couple of pages in a couple of areas. And even when they lost that Knicks game, they were still sitting right around 500, which I think is, is greatly ahead of schedule where you probably consider this team at the beginning of the year. But I do think they've opened up maybe a few more doors if you look at the different possibilities of where this season could go. I think you still have a wide range of possibilities. Totally. Over the last two weeks, many of those, those options, many of those possibilities have opened up on the positive side. And so, you know, obviously things are trending in the right direction now, but still a long way to go. Fellas, there was one sellout at the field house. There's going to be plenty more the rest of the way. Halliburton admitted it the other night after the win against Toronto. We know fan bases in the NBA. Right around Christmas time, you make that internal decision collectively. All right, are we are we getting invested in this, or am I just going to casually kind of be a bystander? I expect Gainbridge Fieldhouse, and for many folks who haven't been back the past two seasons, because let's be honest, there wasn't much of a reason to go back to watch the product on the floor. This place is going to return to its status as one of the toughest places to play in the NBA. They proved that against Los Angeles. It felt that way against the Cavaliers. Pat, the best part for me about this team is, as you continue to look at the box scores every night, the double-figure scores, the mixing and matching of the second unit, the evolution, the ability for, as Rick Carlisle pointed out the other night, TJ McConnell... Yeah, he stepped up. He had 15. Let's face it, he's had a change of role in terms of he's used to playing close to 20 minutes a night. They have so many weapons that appear so unselfish. In terms of the teams that you've covered in Indiana, has there been a more unselfish group through 40 games than this team that's currently taking the floor tonight in Philadelphia? Again, an injury update. Joel Embiid officially questionable for tonight. Where would you go on that one, Pat? Yeah, I mean, it it is up there at the very top. It probably is at the very top. We'll see, you know, how this season comes to an end and how some of those things tend to transpire. But, I mean, that is the bottom line of this group. And I think about, look, the players were very different, and unfortunately the scenario unfolded differently a few years ago. But it is a bit reminiscent of that 2017-2018 season when they were predicted um, much worse than they actually did. But what's so similar is... That was the year they took LeBron to seven, correct? That's the team you're alluding to? Cool. Correct. The team that won 48 games, um, it took LeBron James to seven, probably gets out of the first round if they're goaltending another opponent. Yes, yes. And, one and whistle, still, Pat. One whistle. Yes, one whistle, and perhaps that series turns out differently. And so I think there's something that it's why we all love sports, right? There's something intangible that doesn't even show up in the stats. That is, if you get the right group of guys together, then they're capable of doing things the unthinkable far beyond what they're pay, what they look like on paper, what the talent level just appears to be. And, and this group has so many of those intangibles that remind me of that group that we are talking about right now. 
And so that's, that's to me, an even better sign because this group is so young. That group was, was much more uh, veteran-laden. It had Thaddeus Young and Corey Joseph and uh, Victor Oladipo, who was kind of middle of his career. This group is very, very young, and they're doing a lot of those things. And a lot of these guys are under team control for a good amount of time. So I, I think that that's the dynamic at play that you're seeing right now. Um, the unselfishness, whatever you want to call it. This team is fitting together from a chemistry perspective just incredibly well, and it's showing when you get that right uh, just how significant that can be. And, and maybe you can even look at last year's team as an example. A ton of talent and a ton of really good guys, and it never just fully clicked. And a lot of that was due to injury trouble. And now you've got a lot of young guys, but everything is clicking in the right direction, and it's amazing the different type of seasons that you can have when you get that type of thing right, and it's very difficult to do. Pat Boylan, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, the Motor Shop and Fishers for your residential and commercial mowers, snow blowers, power equipment, and so much more. Motor Shop and Fishers and themotorshop.com. Pat, we know we might not get the matchup of Embiid and Miles Turner tonight, but that'd be fine. You know, I get... think Joel, he should take a day. He, he should. I'm thinking about Joel Embiid today. Take take a night, Joel. Give a day off. Well, regardless of what he does, Tyrese Halliburton, James Harden, the other key matchup uh, to fall tonight. Uh, How how palpitating is a matchup like this going to be on both sides? It'll be really interesting because the last time these two teams played, it was so early in the year. Yeah. And for those who don't remember, the Pacers started off one and four. And I think a lot of the narrative that maybe many people thought going into the season uh, by that point was looking like maybe that was confirmed. Wemben Yamba. yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> translation I think you go into this year. I think you go into this game here just looking at it dramatically differently than you did the one uh, in late October. But but you know Philadelphia has had that same kind of storyline, that monkey on their back for a while. Tons of talent, good regular seasons. Can it work together at the highest level? We'll see if Embiid goes. You know, he's a problem for everybody. He's playing at an MVP level. James Harden playing really well. Also, Tyreek Maxey getting healthier. So uh, it's it's a really good test here. The Pacers have played very well lately. A lot of these games have been at home. They did go into Boston and they did go into Miami Mm -hmm. to get a couple of wins. Those games were a couple weeks ago. So can they find the same road toughness that they brought to Boston and Miami here tonight in Philadelphia, which is an equally tough environment? The road games they have had lately, they've really been tested there. Pat, jokes aside, it would be great to see him beat out there. This has been a stretch where Rick Carlisle has pointed out, look, you're not just beating the Clippers, Miami, Atlanta, Boston, you know, when someone's taken a, an off night for load management. This has been toe-to-toe against the Stars in crunch time. And quite frankly, no one can stay in front of Tyrese Halliburton, and that's proved to be a very good thing for Coach Carlisle. Bigger statement, if the Pacers win tonight in Philadelphia or the win this past week in Boston, which would tell you more uh, if you're Coach Carlisle, Pat? You know, that's an interesting question. I think the Boston one would maybe stand out more, although how it how it happens will also be significant. But, you know, Boston at the very top of the standings and just that was coming off of losing four of five. And right. I remember when that game happened, the Pacers had lost four of five. They'd fallen under 500 for the first time since the very beginning of the season. You're looking at Boston, you're looking at Miami, and then you're looking at New Orleans, three really tough teams coming up and saying, okay, can you keep things on the rails here? And not only did they keep things on the rails, they won in Boston. It's and the then turning point, Pat. 
That'll be the it turning really point is. when we look back really at this is. season. That'll be it. it no, absolutely is. I think I think it absolutely will be if the Pacers have the type of success that they feel like they can have. You will look at the end of that New York Knicks game and you will draw a line in the schedule. And I think it, to what you know, Charlie, you were just talking about. Look at the month of December. The Pacers finished eight and eight. That's not necessarily something that stands out over a month going five hundred. I know. But if, if and anybody at home or in the car, when you get a chance, like look at the schedule in December. <laughs> don't do it while you're driving. But when you, when you get a chance, look at look at the month of December, and it's not hard to imagine a scenario where 15 of those 16 teams make make the playoffs. Right. This could have been this, was, this could have been the month that said, okay, it was fun, and then reality set in. That that's what I expected. I mean, come on. Yeah. And and you look at all those opponents. I mean, the Pacers haven't had a game that you went into and you said. All right, judging you know by the opponent here, um, you expect to win this game. Uh, maybe they get that coming up in Charlotte in a couple games, but it's been a really tough stretch of schedule. So just to be able to weather this, I think is really significant. Um, the month of December, I thought, might be a really telling month, whether what you just said happens. And it has been. Are able to weather it. Yeah. And it's been telling for a positive way. Yeah, Pat, as silly as it was, you know, and as simple as the thought of it is, you can't start a fire without a spark. And Wally Zerbiak did Pacers fans a huge favor, whether subconsciously or otherwise. Uh, look, sometimes when you haven't been talked about for years and you're starting to get some notoriety and some interest outside of your market, the way Pacer fans defended Tyrese Halliburton and the way he has responded and the way he has attacked late in games... It's just been a perfect, perfect ending. Uh, do you disagree or agree that sometimes a team that's middling, a team that knows, Miles Turner admitted it this weekend, hey, this organization, we've had a fight for everything. We get looked over year after year. And guess what? We're waking a lot of people up. Do you think there is some value in the fact that the this, this season turned in that Boston game and it came because of, you know, look, you got called out unfairly. And, and now you're reaping the benefits from that. Put that in perspective for me. Well, I think if, if you could go back in time, I think it's undoubtedly true for numerous reasons that Wally Zerbiak would take those comments back for the reasons that are obvious. Which Harry he did. Halliburton will be, and he did, yes, correct. Yeah. He, did, he did rescind those comments. I think he wished he didn't make them, of course, <laughs> uh, in, in live. Now, it's, it's impossible to know cause and effect there, right? I mean, the Pacers have had really strong stretches of season. I thought Tyrese Halliburton handled it perfectly. He said he saw the comments. He uses everything as motivation. Zerbiak isn't somebody um, that he necessarily looked up to. He said, had it been somebody that I looked up to when I was young, maybe that would have hit harder. But, I mean, the, the comment that he made was, I take motivation from guys with two followers that at me on Twitter. So he's looking <laughs> it's the for Shaq Leonard playbook. <laughs> so, yeah, he's looking for any sort of source. And, uh, you know, I, I do think, you know, maybe he started to ignite something. But what, what the Pacers have done, I think, on a larger level, it may, probably doesn't involve uh, a former NBA player calling anybody out on Twitter. I think it's Tyrese Halliburton went down and, and the Pacers went down and they looked at that game and they probably looked at recent games where they struggled down the stretch and said, how can we get better? And Halliburton is such a student of the game. If you just look at his shot selection, even in those last couple of games and then looked at them now, he's doing totally different things to have success. He's a good three point shooter. And he getting always to the line, be, getting to the line, getting to the line, yeah. he's getting into the lane. 
Um, and that's something he didn't do against New York. And so I think that's been the biggest difference maker is th- that that game against the Knicks, those comments or not, was very disappointing in terms of how the Pacers closed it out. And I think he and the team took a good hard look. Rick Carlisle, the coaching staff, took a good hard look at where they can improve there. And again, like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, to be able to do that on the fly and fairly dramatically, I think, is really impressive. Pat, it's easy to point to this with different players, but in general, when you're on a contract year across all sports, whenever there's there's money on the line, you often do see a high-level increase in production. Uh, it happens again, NFL, NBA, you name it. But Miles has always been, Miles Turner has always been a high-level player. How much of this is, is more than just, oh, it's a contract year, now he's finally in a groove? How much of this is really what the Pacers are setting him up to play with really for, for the first time back in his true five slot? Yeah, I think it's mostly opportunity there. And look, DeMontis Sabonis, Miles Turner, two very talented centers, and I thought they did about as good of a job as you can playing together, knowing that one of, you know, essentially Sabonis was playing the four when the Pacers were on defense because you wanted Turner at the rim. And Turner was playing the four on offense because you wanted Sabonis bullying the other guys. Well, uh, he was at the rim on offense. And Turner, you know, basically came out and said, you know, I would like the opportunity to um, be the guy in the middle. And I give him a ton of credit because he's backed up those words. He's averaging something like 17 and 8, but his efficiency numbers are really, uh, really impressive. I mean, he's almost 50, 40, 80. And when your center can shoot 40% from the three-point line, um, you know, the attempts he makes, and then also go and protect the rim, That's the one thing Turner's always had. He's always been a very good rim protector, but could he find a way to be more consistent with these other skill sets? And it's a bit of a chicken and an egg thing. He wants more opportunity, but he didn't have the opportunity. So how do you get that? Well, the trade that happened that uh, landed the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton, was also very beneficial because it unlocked Miles Turner too. And so I tend to think most of this is opportunity, but I do give Miles a lot of credit because – um, you know, he, he was in a position where he wasn't always playing his natural spot right. for numerous years. And here's your opportunity. And frankly, there's, there's, a, I think, a fair amount of pressure involved in that. Okay, I've been wanting this for a while. Here's my shot. What <laughs> happens? And, and he's been, for the most part, excellent. And especially in this December stretch on, he's been really, really good. I mean, he had a 34-point game the other day. And he does things that don't show up in the stat sheet. There was a play... Uh, late in that Toronto game where I think it was uh, Van Vliet who got by his man, drove to the rim. Turner was there, and because Turner was there, he kicked it out, and I think it was Buddy Heald who got a steal and pretty much put a hammer on the end of that game. And those are types of plays where guys like Fred Van Vliet, they beat their guy the same way night in and night out. They get to the rim the same way, and 90 95% of centers, once they get there, they're able to finish through or at least give themselves a good opportunity of finishing at the rim versus an opposing center. And when they get to players like Turner or that elite class of rim protector, it's just a different story. And that doesn't show up as a block. And Turner didn't get credited for any of that, but he was the difference maker on a play like that. When you consider him bringing his high-level defense and being able to increase his offensive efficiency – and rebound at a better level. It's never going to be his strength, but I think he's doing it about well enough. Uh, He's been the title player that I think he was trying to show he could be. It's great insight. Pat Boylan, Pacers Radio Network. 
Pre-game tonight, 6.30, Pacers, Sixers going for five in a row. Miles Turner, gentlemen, entering tonight, second among all centers in three-point percentage, third in blocks, sixth in points. A career year potentially continuing tonight. Again, Joel Embiid, questionable. Looks like that line's still sitting at Sixers by six and a half. We'll let Jimmy, the expert, handle that. Pat, great to hear from you, and just keep this thing rolling, man, all right? I appreciate both of you, and uh, we'll look forward to being on here hopefully again sometime soon. That is Pat, Thanks, Pat. Boylan. Uh, Charlie Clifford to Wish TV, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. Quick timeout here on The Fan. We'll have some updates. Week 18 in this week. What did we learn about what's ahead for the Colts on Sunday? That story after the break. We're approaching two. Th- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 30 here in Indy. Hope you're having a great opening week of your 2023. If you're as invested in the action on the courts, on the fields that we are certainly the DeMar Hamlin story is still the most important thing in our sports world right now. The update from the Bills earlier this hour, DeMar Hamlin showing signs of improvement yesterday and again last night. Uh, He remains in intensive care in Cincinnati. And our prayers to his family, again, 24 years old, second year in the NFL. We learned today, Colts safety, Rodney Thomas, a high school teammate of Hamlin's in Pittsburgh, made the trip to Cincinnati yesterday to link link with Hamlin's family and also spend time with Hamlin, who remains sedated in his hospital room. Just the image of that, extremely powerful. Jeff Saturday, with some very classy words, he addressed the team Ahead of their return to the practice field this afternoon, there was a report Kenny Moore was out there getting a little work in. Didn't have a helmet or pads on, though. I, Jimmy, I would not expect Kenny Moore to suddenly return for this inconsequential finale. We're all trying to figure out, are you going to see more of Eddie, Jimmy? Give me one player you want to see more of on Sunday to wrap up this year. I mean, everybody's been calling for it for the last couple of weeks. I wasn't in that camp, but you're finally going to get another full sample size of Sam Ellinger. Obviously, it's a limited offense, but I mean, for me, that's the obvious answer because given the money situation and the unknowns of what happens with Matt Ryan, what happens with Nick Foles, Ellinger's probably your safest bet for somebody that's on the roster at the quarterback position next year. So I I, I, I want to give him a fair shake again. Against Houston, we'll see what he has. We'll get another benchmark for where Sam Ellinger is as an NFL quarterback. Sam Ellinger, 10 quarters of NFL football, 364 passing yards. E.G., who you got? Uh, Jelani Woods. He's had a lot of flashes this year. I wish they had the one big play on the screen. Um, I forget which game that was. I don't know if that was the Chargers game or if that was um, yeah. The, yeah, the Chargers game. He had the big screen, gets called back, and then he's never really featured after that in the in the passing game. He had the He's had a couple big games this year, I think, if you get him the ball in space. I think he's really good uh, when he gets the football in his hands. What you got, Jay Cook? Uh, no, I was waiting for – I just wanted to try and navigate that to him. Kenny Moore just placed on IR by the Colts, officially announced three minutes ago. Okay. Rashad Berry uh, picked up off the Jaguars practice squad, a defensive end. You think he's played his last game as a Colt? It's a fair question. Knowing how frustrated he was with the contract discussions 
Um, I hate to say it, but that seems more likely than the other side of that coin, which is which is going to be a tough loss for the city if that happens because Kenny Moore is a great person. You mentioned Jelani Woods. At one point, 15 catches for 12 first downs this season. That's been the unexplainable aspect of a tight end room that ranks among the worst in the National Football League. Are you saying they trade Kenny? Because he's still under contract next year. Is yeah, that where you're leaning? I, I don't know. I Something tells me that a fresh start for both sides at this point, I don't know, maybe... Maybe that isn't out of the question. Um, I'm going to go Michael Pittman Jr. I want to see Michael Pittman Jr. run a go route and catch a ball down the field. How many catches does Michael Pittman Jr., Eddie and Jimmy, have for over 30 yards this year? Take a guess. Four. I'm going to say two. Zero. He does not have a catch (laughs) over 30 yards. Paris Campbell is four. Alec Pierce is three. Um, Yeah. Okay. Other NFL notes, Jalen Hurts, day-to-day, shoulder injury, still unclear the status for potentially the number one seed in the NFC as they try to lock that up. Nathan Peterman starting for Jalen, uh, excuse me, for Justin Fields in Chicago, Bears, Vikings. Other storylines you're keeping an eye on, Week 18, elsewhere. Jimmy, what's your top must-watch game? Look, I, I understand that this is getting into the business side versus the human side, but Charlie, you and I agree that we have made it clear on this show, like all the other shows nationally, DeMar Hamlin is on the forefront of our minds. But if you're talking about Week 18 storylines, you cannot ignore how things play out between Chiefs Raiders, how things play out between uh, the AFC North yeah, title Bengals race, 1-2-3 seed, yes, how, how it all unfolds, and what the NFL ultimately decides to do, because... We're going to get over the next couple of days, and hopefully the news continues to be positive for DeMar Hamlin, but if you think, and you're driving around right now, and think the NFL isn't having to run all of this as a business, you're crazy. They are having to have these discussions. That's just the way the world works. That is my biggest watch outside of the games, is what do they ultimately decide to do with Bengals-Bills? Because if the Chiefs lose, and the Bills win against... Uh, is it Bills? It's Bills. New Bills. Ravens or is it Bills? Yeah, no. Bills. Ravens. And no, Bengals. Ravens. Bengals. Ravens. Bengals. Ravens. Bills, Bills. Patriots. Right. There you Bills, go. Bills. Patriots. Yes. Bengals. Ravens. If the Bills Correct. lose to the Patriots in Buffalo, then it, then it it and Kansas City wins. Then the one seed is off the table, and and that game matters less in terms of Bengals. Bills. There's a chance though, if it flips the other way, that game has major ramifications for the one and the two seed. How the NFL balances both potentially pushing the playoffs back or what they ultimately do with that game, DeMar Hamlin's number one priority. But when you ask me about storylines outside of Hamlin, that's at the top of my list is how they decide all this. This will certainly be a piece of Roger Goodell's legacy as commissioner. Uh, It's been a well-documented run of many twists and turns, but this will be part of the conversation. Eddie, who wins the AFC South? Jags, Titans, Josh... Dobbs starting for Mike Vrabel, six-game losing streak for Tennessee. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, Jaguars. Yes. They are really just... going out on the limb there. I know. <laughs> it's a hard one, right? <laughs> but uh, I think what Trevor Lawrence has been able to do the last seven weeks or so has really shown why he was that number one overall pick. And you 
understand why there was so much hype around him. He's taking care of the football. He's getting his wide receivers the ball in space and letting them go make plays. Evan Ingram has really stepped up for that Jaguars team as of late. Travis Etienne brings a new dimension in the run game that James Robinson uh, surely did not bring in. Uh, over the last, I wouldn't say month or so, Trevor Lawrence has shown the wheels a little bit too, so it adds another dimension. Um, the one thing about that Jags team, though, is can that defense keep it up? Uh, are they going to be able to contain King Henry if he does suit up and play? This time last year, the Jaguars had one win. They now have eight and are on the cusp of an AFC South title. I have an unpaid bet, Jimmy, as you mentioned off-air, in the college basketball world. Last night, Mike Lewis, first-year head coach, Ball State, Made it six straight wins. The Cardinals are 10-4. and four. Chirp, chirp, going to Toledo, beating a Toledo team, one of the three that was picked ahead of Ball State in the preseason Mac poll. They have a trio of guards. Boogie Coleman out of Cathedral High School. He started at Ball State, transferred to Missouri for a season, came back this year. He can get you a bucket. That is a man who can get you a bucket in March. Uh, Demarius Jacobs, senior out of Chicago, career high 25 last night. Jalen Sellers, real nice lefty on the wing, 15 and 10. They have a big fellow by the name of Peyton Sparks that can dunk on anyone in college basketball. He kind of reminds you of Zion Williams, Williamson, excuse me, but he's a legit center player. Uh, Mike Williams, Cardinal Nation. If you're a Ball State alum, watch this team. They're fun. Jimmy, tonight, Butler, DePaul at Hinkle. What are your thoughts about that? Dogs need a conference win. You look at the start to Big East play, it's been a number of steps back over this losing streak. And while you and I talked about it yesterday, I, this is not a a um, referendum at all on Thad Mata in sure. his first year at Butler. It, it, they've dealt with injuries. They're continuing to try to piece together this lineup and what the rotation is going to look like now that they're basically 100% healthy. But... You you need a win. You need a conference win, right. and they, they did beat Georgetown this, Sunday night. Right, that right, kind of got right. lost so, in the so, NFL Sunday. So, so you're so you're getting on that right path because we talked with Mark Minner and Nick Gardner last week about how important it was to rebound against Georgetown to get your footing right heading into the meat and potatoes of conference play. Because just like any conference, but in particular the Big East. If Butler wants to end their tournament drought that's going on a couple years now, obviously they likely would have been in had COVID not happened. That happened with a number of teams around the state. But if they want to end that drought, they can't afford to get so far behind the eight ball in conference play. Georgetown win was a good step in the right direction. Hoping for the same now against DePaul tonight. Butler 9-0 and this year when scoring at least seven points, 0-6 when they're held under the 70 mark. Eddie, tomorrow the Hoosiers' Big Ten play really Heats up. Going to Iowa City, we learn Tamar Bates will be a starter alongside Jalen Hood, Shafino. Trey Galloway will come off the bench. If you're Mike Woodson, what's your biggest concern heading into 2023, Eddie? I would say, you know, the guard position in general. Uh, Jalen Hood, Shafino, and Tamar Bates have both been able to show they have they can play um, in big games. Uh, but it's just consistency out of those two guys. Because if you're looking to make a run into March, and certainly in you know, the Big Ten tournament, uh, you need guard play. That's one of the two things that you always look at when you look at good teams uh, when it comes to March Madness is they have two guards that are really good. You're, you don't have to worry about the Hoosiers when it comes to defense because, you know, Mike Woodson team will always defend each and every night. It's the guys that surround Trace Jackson Davis that you have to really get going. Miller Cop has been great in shooting the three ball, but much better. You, you need Jalen Hood Shafino to 
to live up to the hype that he was uh, when he was recruited by Mike Woodson and staff to become a nice ball handling point guard that can get other guys involved and be able to score when the offense needs him to score. Um, and then let's see who else can come off the bench. So, you know, Trey Galloway is going to come off the bench like you just alluded to, but you, you need somebody off the bench that can score. And who's it going to be? Is it going to be Malik Renew? Can he get back to that early season success? Um, but that's kind of like what you have to watch out for if you're Mike Woodson. And plus, I was always tough, but if you're looking to play Iowa, now would be the time. 0-3 in the Big Ten. 0-3. They just uh, Patrick McCaffrey will not play tomorrow night. Uh, they announced that yesterday he will sit out for some period of time. There is no reason or there's no length uh, because he is dealing with anxiety. He's going to go work on that, which is really good for him to have the courage to step away from you know playing with his dad and yep. uh, to go focus on his mental health. Um, but. Uh, Chris Murray, I don't know the status of Chris Murray going into tomorrow night's game, so if I was a little banged up, I think this is the best time if you're an Indiana fan that you can play the Hawkeyes, especially in Iowa, considering no more Jordan Bohannon, finally. You think Jordan Bohannon, Jimmy, will ever be able to step foot even to fill up his car, potentially with gas, passing through the Circle City? Would would that end up okay for Jordan Bohannon? No. That shot, that shot last year. I'm sorry. That uh, guy, no, I mean, I, I, all the best to him. But he's yeah. done that twice against India. I try not to think about Jordan Bohannon. I'll be honest with you. Try to try to let him seep into the past and and not think about it. There's no happy memories there. Charlie Clifford, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. We're going around the horn. Ohio State. Chris Holtman's team ranked 24th. Coming, uh, I should say, awaiting the Purdue Boilermakers. Jimmy, level of concern one to ten after Purdue's loss to Rutgers. Going into now the the heat of the Big Ten season, what number in terms of your concern for Matt Painter after his first loss of the year? Just to clarify, that can it be most concerned in that yes. scenario? Um, probably about a three. Like we talked about this yesterday. This was never a team because it's just so hard to do in college basketball. It was going to go undefeated, and the Big Ten is a beast. It always is, and I, I know it might not be the. I perceive it that way, but nationally it might not be viewed as the top conference in college basketball this year, but it is every single night if you take a step back mentally for even a moment, you're going to get pounced. Mm-hmm. That happened early on in that game, but because of the way that Matt Painter has this group ready to go, because Zach Eady was able to stabilize himself through foul trouble, they almost stole that game. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily concerned long-term for Purdue, though again, and... At some point, it's no longer a narrative. It's a legitimate issue with Purdue moving forward would be when you continue to have a team that has great guard play and great high-level dynamic playmaking forwards that give you fits. That's what has gotten Purdue the last couple years in the tournament. That's how Rutgers has been able to stun them twice now, both at Mackey um, and in general up in New Jersey. So if... If you're looking for a concern level, I'd say minor because Matt Painter has navigated this stuff before but it's something that creeps into the back of your mind of fix it right Matt fix pa- it and improve yes matt painter had a classic painter response after the loss to rutgers commenting on the scarlet knight's toughness saying if we were heading to war we would stop in new jersey and pick those guys up yep. on the way yep. to back us up <laughs> i thought that's so true a very fun and appropriate way of describing the fellows from New Jersey and the fight they bring to the court each night. Eddie, is there any chance if Zach Eady remains healthy 
he does not end up as the Big Ten Player of the Year in the conference. If he keeps playing at the way he has been, I don't see there's a reason why. Because if you look at the rest of the Big Ten, the only guy that I can think of that can compete with him is Trace Jackson Davis. And that gap is what heading into this weekend? Is it a country mile? Is he states away? I would say, I don't know. That's a good question. Because, I mean, Zach Eady has been by and far one of the most dominant players in all college basketball. So I wouldn't say it's like a landslide, but... There's always the chance that, especially if Trace is able to find the success that he had in that Big Ten tournament, uh, again, during the Big Ten conference season, I think you could see him make a run for Big Ten Player of the Year. But uh, I think Zach Eady is just up as, I don't know what the proper analogy is, three car lengths maybe, if we're talking to car. <laughs> if you're coming down the home stretch on lap 200, <laughs> that thing is over. Yeah. Yes. I mean, but to, at Teddy's point, it is going to take, with Xavier Johnson out of the fold and relying so heavily on Tamar Bates and Jalen hood Shafino in terms of your guard play, this was known going in. This team, to an extent, is going to go as far as the efficiency level and the high-level play of Trace Jackson Davis. So the idea to say it's over, how does Purdue respond after Rutgers? Again, I'm saying I think they're going to be just fine, but there's going to be windows of opportunity to win Big Ten Player of the Year because he is going to have to be putting such numbers up on a nightly basis that he's going to be in that conversation. We will return to close out the afternoon show, 93-5-107-5, the fan. And to the last 10 minutes goes the victor. And that team in this city right now is the Indiana Pacers. An injury update against the Sixers tonight in Philadelphia. And the X factor for Rick Carlisle is this win streak. Looks to move to five. We're back after this. This might be the coolest thing. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We've seen all week there's a report out um, that Jim Ursay has now become the top donor to DeMar Hamlin's toy drive, a donation very fittingly of of twenty five thousand uh, dollars, twenty five thousand and three dollars as Hamlin, as we've come to know his nickname three that dates back to high school, and um, you know it's important to note that these acts of generosity will, when I think of Jim Irsay's legacy, you know, long term here. Bringing a Lombardi here, I know many of you are have your fingers crossed that there will be more than one sitting on the entryway of the Colts complex. Uh, the uns- many times unspoken generosity of Jim Irsay and his philanthropic endeavors and commitment. This is just the latest chapter of that. Um, it's cool stuff, Jimmy Cook. Yeah, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago in regards to some people being frustrated with Jim Irsay or frustrated with the direction of the franchise. At his core, Jim Irsay cares about people and he cares about not just the city of Indianapolis, but clearly with just his philanthropic moves in general, but particularly this toy drive donation and joining countless others around the NFL and around the country and the world that have made donations to it. It's a kind gesture on his part. A number of other Owners have followed suit with the extra three dollars in there in honor mm-hmm. of Hamlin, which is really special. And yeah, I mean, it's just it's say what you will in other areas. 
Jim Irsay wants what's best for this team, which is why, and he's not afraid, again, not in this instance, not talking about the donation, but in terms of the long-term health of the franchise, he'll spend when he feels this team is a player or two away, or if they're not, he will spend to make this team competitive. Not a lot of other owners of professional sports franchises are willing to do that. Charlie Clifford of Wish TV, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. We're with you for the next seven minutes. John is in next. NFL executive Jeff Miller shared earlier this hour discussions as to what to do with the Bills and Bengals game will continue and a decision is expected in the coming days, which I think is interesting. You know, will it be will it arrive ahead of the week 18 slate of games, the kickoff? Uh, with the uncertainty of the seeding in the AFC, or would they potentially provide a contingency plan with the decision? Hey, we aren't gonna ha- we aren't gonna play this game unless you absolutely have to. That would be my assumption at this point. If it affects the integrity and the seeding of the AFC postseason, uh, it sounds like we will be provided a contingency plan of of when that game would be played here in the coming days against that. That's just within the last hour. One thing of note on that yes. front, if it's one telling part of the statement, it was towards the back end. So I'm reading tea leaves to some extent. Pundits have mentioned that the COVID protocols resulted in winning percentage being a factor with how we navigated the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, in that statement, the league mentioned that they still have that precedent of protocols in place leading me to believe there is a chance that this game gets listed as a no contest and they go off of winning percentage for the seating in the respective conferences or mainly the AFC in this case. Jimmy, that's a spot on forecast. The Indiana Pacers head to Philadelphia tonight. Tip off here in terms of the pregame show will be at 630 Can't wait to have you rejoin us then for a team that now has the second longest winning streak in the Eastern Conference, 6-1 and over its past seven games. Joel Embiid, questionable to play tonight. Jimmy, what needs to go right in order for the Pacers to make this five in a row? How about to answer that question, I give you a wager. I am ready. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. We're going all across the board for the Pacers this evening. Going to go Tyrese Halliburton over 18.5 total points. Also going to take over 15.5 total points for Benedict Matherin tonight. And while we're at it, assuming he plays over 14.5 for Miles Turner. But we're not done there. The winning streak continues. Give me the Pacers on the money line plus 215 odds. The train is moving. Eddie Garrison to quote BK. Brennan King, who's often on this program, these airwaves as well. Pacers are a wagon. I want to be on it there, Charlie. Eddie Garrison, if you are given the chance to lock in your seat on the Pacers bandwagon for the remainder of the year with no chance of ridicule, uh, or I should say with the chance of ridicule, (laughs) if things go south, are you locking in your seat tonight or do you need to see more before that happens? I still am in the camp of need to see more simply because they have shown stretches as of late that they can beat good teams. Uh, I'd like to see them beat good teams on the road. They have beaten Boston, like we talked about earlier, and Golden State and Miami. Three solid teams. I'd like to see it more consistently. Uh, We talked about it earlier in the week as well. The rebounding for me needs to step up a little bit. Uh, But, Jimmy, I do have a couple plays in this game as well. Please. Uh, I will take... 
Aaron Neesmith under 11.5 points, and I will take DeAnthony Melton over 10.5. We don't conflict anywhere there. Yeah. We're good. We're good. But all that can happen. Pace can still win money lines. You know, the last time I disagreed with you on uh, Benedict Matherin, he had like 18. That was the Eggs Benny over easy game. Is what that I was the Cleveland game yep. where he got yep. like eight free throws yep. in the first half. I feel like the heads of state of Switzerland in here were just all nodding in agreement <laughs> and shaking hands for... The last five minutes of this show. Do you want to? Do you want to throw a throw a knife into the mix and 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 discard this uh, camaraderie? No. Um. You mentioned the Miles Turner. Miles Turner's playing right. There's well, no, I, I was going off Eddie's conspiracy. I got theory, you. To be yes, clear, yes. there's no rumors. The I should clarify that. There's no rumors that Miles Turner isn't playing. But Eddie, if you want to reiterate that to the folks, Eddie had a, had a thought in regards oh, to just the, the way MB theory, and Turner as it, balance, as it just feels like. You know, every year it's like cat and mouse, and Embiid will sit, Miles will play, Embiid plays, Miles sits, so it's just like, it's just all over the place. On tonight's edition of Conspiracies with <laughs> Edward Garrison, Joel Embiid questionable tonight. 15-5, and five, Philadelphia at home, they're 10-2 and two over the past 12. For me, if this is a win tonight for Rick Carlisle's team, this is the biggest statement win of the season. I think as you continue onward, as Rick Carlisle mentioned against following, I should say, the win over Toronto, the more you win, the more human nature tends to set in. When you know you're overachieving, you're playing well, you need to hold the line, and we need to continue to find ways to tinker to get this overachieving group to be even better to me, knowing what Philadelphia and Doc Rivers know about Tyrese Halbert and this team of late, going in there and winning would trump the win in Boston. When, as Pat Boylan mentioned earlier, the Sour a struggling team walked into Boston, caught them sleeping early, built a 20-point lead, and hung on at the end. That's That would be win number one of the season for me if it happens. I know we got 30 seconds, so I'll let you close this. I want to give a shout-out to my wife, Haley Cook. I'm going to be off the next couple of days or well so. Well uh, She's running the Disney Marathon down in Orlando this weekend, so best luck to my wife, Haley. That's where we should end it. Safe travels down there. Jimmy, what's the forecast look like? Uh, my relatives weren't able to leave yet, so weather is not kind, but for the race it should be. It's a matter of getting down there. It's been a blast up here. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Charlie Clifford, We'll be back tomorrow, hopefully recapping a Pacers win. John's in next. Have yourself a Wednesday, everybody.